Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 147. Pop by a smile. This is Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. Hey, everybody. This episode is going to cover some gems of chapters. That's uh, chapter 53, Slow Circles, uh, through chapter 59, All This Knowing. We're we're just past the halfway point of the book, right, Scad? Yeah. Um, 59 chapters in, it's only halfway. Goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, we finally get to see Quoth play for someone besides himself. Uh, and boy, he brings it. He brings it hard uh, with the help of a newish love interest. It's a set of chapters. It takes place almost entirely in one venue. One of the best venues in the series, the, the Eolian. As Quoth tries to nail down some real money-making opportunities through his music. That's right. And a few of my favorite chapters of the entire series uh, in this little block. Uh, Wowza. Wowza. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to hear your thoughts being a musician about about one of those chapters. But, um, well, I mean, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about all the chapters, Matt. But I'll just be quiet until we get this one in particular. Tell me when. (laughs) All right. A couple of announcements. Uh, We are working on our roast of Stannis Baratheon. It's be so good. It's a new concept. I think we fault started on it a little bit. <laughs> we tried to go fast and we're like, oh, I think people are going to need more time for their content. We didn't know how it would all go and how long it would take and everything. Anyway, it got punted to later this month, September 23rd. That's actually the day after our patrons can listen to this episode. And two days before the public will get this episode, so kind of right in the middle. So depending on how you're listening to this, it is about to happen or just happened. Uh, and I'm sure it went well. We've got a lot of really fun people in the fandom that have sent us in content. They're ready to get up and, um, and do their worst to our, our friend Stannis Baratheon. And we're really excited about how this is going to go. Absolutely. So if you're one of those that's getting this after the fact, say you've just discovered our podcast and it's now the year 2025 or something like that. Uh, look it up on YouTube, look it up on, I don't know where we'll have it stored, but we'll have the recording out there somewhere. It's great. We love including the fandom in our content. You guys know this from our meet the Kalisar to some of the other fun things that we've done. Um, even a song of madness. We love to include you all. So having you all be our roasters of the stand man has been so much fun to organize. And I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah. We're really excited. This is an idea Matt had, has had for over a year now. And we've just kind of been slowly piecing it together. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited. Can we make this work? How would it go? Yeah. How would it go? Technology, all these things. Mm. And then we just decided to go for it. So we'll see what happens. Yep. And then uh, the, the yeah, following that, month, what do we have, Matt? We're getting back to A Song of Ice and Fire. Yes, we are in A Song of Ice and Fire podcast. And yes, we still like reading A Song of Ice and Fire. And as you know, we are doing a project on Patreon called We Should Start Back, a Game of Thrones reread. So we've already read Game of Thrones for this podcast. We're going back and reading it again because a lot has changed in the eight years that we've been podcasting together. Nine we had our nine, nine year anniversary in That's August. That's what we did. 2014 is 2023. Yes, but it's you're right. Been, but it's been probably seven and a half years since we talked in detail about this book. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's been 
really fun. Yeah, those sessions are, we've, we've done one episode already. We covered the first hundred pages. We'll cover the next hundred or so pages. Um, it's going to be Danny two through Eddard four, I believe. And um, they're quicker reviews. Like we don't go nearly as in depth with summaries or any of that as we do in our normal episodes. It's a little bit lighter, a little bit more bantery. I don't know. It somehow just worked out that way on the first one. Um, but we, we really liked it. And uh, yeah, join us on Patreon for those. Um, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of we felt this way back then. Now yeah. we feel this way. It's kind of fun to track, uh, you know, our evolution with this series, but also kind of the fandom at large's totally. evolution with this series. You know, yeah. Tyrion's a character that comes to mind is when we started out podcasting, Tyrion was still kind of viewed as kind of a bit of a hero. And yeah. it feels like the needle has shifted a little bit for how the fandom at large thinks about him. So um, and it can re-explore these. Cat, Cat was kind of maligned and then mm-hmm. defended. And you actually kind of came after her a little bit for a treatment of John last episode, I remember. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think the fandoms kind of settled in a more middle ground on her as well. Anyway, it's a lot of a lot of things yeah. like that of, you know, where have we come in the last nine years with this series in our own lives? You know, <laughs> kids growing up and uh, Matt and I getting older and uh, and also kind of how the fandom maybe has evolved a little bit, too. So it's a lot of fun. So yep. check us out on Patreon for that content. And with that, I think we can probably get right into King Killer. Let's let's do some King Killer. <laughs> let's do it. We're spoiler free for King Killer Chronicle, just like we did for Song of Ice and Fire until the end of the podcast for a special segment we call Devi After Dark. So that means we will not spoil future content in this series other than the main portion we're covering today. Um, we'll save it for that special section at the end. Yep. And as always, we love to hear from you guys. We're going to read a question from one of our listeners later on in the episode, and we love getting those. Love uh, to hear your thoughts on what you think of this King Killer coverage. It's a departure for us, but it's been a lot of fun for us. We'd love to hear how it is for you, too. You can reach us at email if you want to write something a little more long form at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. We're also on the site that we're still calling Twitter, uh, at Davos Fingers. We are on Blue Sky, which is, I should have had our um, at davosfingers.bsky.social is our handle there. And Facebook. And please check out our Patreon program. As you see, we're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. We'd love to have you join us over there. It's at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. They got to figure out that Blue Sky thing to make it a little easier to share. I yeah. love it. I'm I'm into it. I'm, right I'm in it. I like it. The but... thing about it is, is I've pretty much preserved it just for our fandom friends. Yeah. Like it's basically, I'm not looking for like my favorite sports personalities or music or anything like that. It is purely a song of ice and fire. So it's kind of, and I'm going to keep it that way. I think Yeah, it's going to be just my little, a song of ice and fireplace. It's mostly what I have too. I've branched a little bit, but yeah. Mostly what I have too. And and I think, you know, that's definitely what we'll focus on our on our Balfus Fingers account as well. So all right, let's jump in. Let's do it, man. Slow circles, man. Slow circles, chapter 53. Everyone knew if you were in Imri and you wanted to hear music, good music, you go to the Aeolian. It's worth the copper jot cover charge and the fact that musicians pay, pay a whole silver talent just to play on a stage. 
And that usually means that they are serious about their craft. In fact, if you played well enough to seriously impress the owners of the club and the audience, you were given, and I quote, a token, a tiny set of silver pipes that could be mounted on a pin or necklace. Talent pipes were recognized as clear marks of distinction at most sizable inns within 200 miles of Emory. So with those pipes, you could also play at the Olean for free and were sometimes indeed called upon to play, which isn't a bad thing as Emory's wealthy often frequented the Aeolian and many were looking to financially support and act as patrons for the next big talent. And Kvothe needed money. Tuition, yes, but almost more important is his debt to Devi that he has to pay every semester. It's only been two spans since he bought his loot, but he's been practicing religiously at his hiding spot in Mainz, and he feels as prepared as he'll ever be to try for his pipes and the financial support that could follow at the Aeolian. Will and Sim are nervous for him. A whole silver talent is a big investment after all, but they'll be there to support him. So uh, in this chapter... Kvothe has spent some time with his friends. He takes his leave of them and clandestinely makes his way to rehearse in his secret courtyard in Mainz, where Auri is waiting. Remember her? No, you don't. Because this is the first time we ever see her. She's just thrown into the story. Um, you haven't gone crazy. She's new to the story, but she's not new to Kvothe. It's obvious they have a relationship uh, that's been building over at least the last few weeks. Um, a certain kinship has formed between the two of them. She's no more than 20 years years old, Quoth thinks. Tiny, somewhat malnourished looking, and dressed in tatters. She didn't like the open sky, bright lights, or people. And she lives underground, in the under thing, as she calls it. Quoth brings her food, and she brings him trinkets. On this night, she's brought him a tiny key, which she says can be used to unlock the moon. She's a little quirky like that. She mentions that she actually ventured topside recently and explored even seeing Master Elodin, who seemed busy listening to the wind. Quoth could barely make sense of what she said before she finished her meal and exclaimed excitedly, play, play. Quoth couldn't hope for a more enthusiastic audience to hear his music than Auri. And that's how the chapter ends. <laughs> I love Auri. Uh, she's so magical. And I think Pat does such a good job of keeping her both immediately fascinating and also a slowly unfolding secret. Mm. Right? Like, there's so much we don't know. But also, like, we know that she knows about naming from this very opening chapter where, you know, she's, we just meet her. She's talking about you know, a load in and apparently knows who he is. And that tells us some things too, but not much, you know, um, we just had these, uh, these chapters where a took and took, took both to the, the rookery, the crockery, the, uh, the, uh, insane asylum for lack of haven, a better term. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that, yeah, Haven is what they call it. Yep. All those things, uh, all those things. They call it all those mm -hmm. things. Um, and you know, you wonder, she doesn't seem like she's, maybe all there did she <laughs> you know like did she come from 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 there somehow so much mystery right and yet gives us enough that it's just we we need more right she's so interesting 
And what do you think about how quote or how Rothfuss just plops her into the story? Like I said in my summary, we yeah. get a little glimpse of somebody right yeah. in a few chapters back. Yep. He's playing his lute and he hears a noise. He goes and investigates. He finds an apple that had fallen on the ground and a, the sewer grate is has been tampered with. Yep. We find out that's Auri, or we can assume, infer that that was Auri. Uh, so what do you think of him just kind of – Quoth spends all this time trying to describe in later chapters the woman that he's yeah. circling about and all of these different things. And with Ari, he's no introduction. She's just there in the yes. story. And we're – we fill in the pieces a little bit. Yeah. So it's an interesting question for, for, for two reasons, right? It's what do we as readers think of think of her just being plopped in, um, just kind of thrown at us? Um, almost out of nowhere, like you said, it's it's hinted there's somebody there, but he doesn't talk about it with anybody. There's no there's no evolution toward seeing her, like catching you know catching a glimpse of her as she escapes or anything like that. There's a note about the apple was too far away from the tree. There were runes on the grate, and he felt some you know he heard something move. That's all we get, and then all of a sudden we have Ari, and um, yeah, I I think it's it's really brilliant. Um, it's really a little bit off-putting with the way he treats <laughs> almost every other character with, you know, it's not just Denna, it's everybody. He, it feels like he goes to great pains to kind of introduce them right when he can. And yeah, she's just, just plopped right in. Uh, we didn't get to see their first meeting. He doesn't even bother showing us how they met. Right. We always get that. We never get, we don't miss that part. We always get to see the part where you meet a new character, right? not here. And so that's, that's interesting from a storytelling perspective. It's also interesting from a meta perspective, mm. but that's all he gave Chronicler to begin with. Yeah. Isn't Chronicler being like, well, well hold up, hold the fuck on. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Who's He's this? like rifling through his papers. <laughs> did I, Wait, did I fall asleep? What, what is happening? What did I miss? <laughs> and we'll see in future chapters and I won't spoil anything, but we'll see that Chronicler does kind of get upset when he feels like he's not being told the whole story. And it's interesting from a meta perspective that he, oh, that's not, not too much of a spoiler, but you know, he's, you know, he's with it and he wants the whole story and he's clearly not gotten all of the story with Ari. And you wonder how important she really is. Does, is she more important than Chronicle thinks? Is he, is, is she a whole in his pre-existing knowledge of the legends of both? Right. So he's like, ah, I don't know. Do I, how important is this to the story? Yeah. If she, yeah. Yep. Just some girl that would listen to him play music. Right. Perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. But, you know, he's a smart guy. Mm -hmm. So when she's talking about the moon and a key to open the moon, we've got, you know, more for Debbie after dark, probably. Right. But like we've got all sorts of stuff in this book about the moon. Right. And, and so you'd think he'd be putting some of these things together. But, like to think um, what I do love about this relationship or this kinship or this friendship that we see forming is the difference in Quoth that we see when he's with her. Yeah. Quoth, you know, let's be frank. He's pretty dang self-centered. He's pretty focused on him. Arrogant. Um, too. Yeah. Yep. Right. He's arrogant. Uh, and that comes it's a survival skill, right? 
I have to find food for me to eat. I have to find, you know, we don't see him talking about the nice things he's doing for Will and Sim, his friends. Right. They do nice things for him all the time. Yeah. We don't hear a lot about things he's doing for them. Um, it's different with, with Auri, his little moon fae. Yeah. Uh, it shows this sweet, unselfish side that we don't see with him and his friends. He brings her food that he himself could be eating. Food is sacred to Quoth. And yet he's saving some of the food that he could eat to give to her. Um, he plays her little games with her, right? And he's like, and you can tell this is a game they've gone back and forth on. And, oh, she already used the moon, so I've got to use something different. Uh-huh. Or, what did you bring me today? Like, he's playing this little, like, yes. you'd, you'd imagine almost like someone playing with a with a child almost. Yeah. Um, and he's younger than her. At least he thinks he is. So I love seeing that side of Quoth in this. It's so different from everything else. Me too. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those things where you don't think of kindness necessarily as being like a big, a big thing and a big descriptor of Quoth, right. From what we've seen, he's not cruel either. I don't think, but, but kindness is not something that you've seen a lot from him, but it all, it's, it's almost like an economic thing. Maybe Um, seeing someone in need, you know, he's usually willing other than that tragic on the roof right where he ignores the the person that was in dire need of help and ignored them. Yeah. Um you know he's generally willing to help people that need help, right? Some of the stuff with Trappist um you know things like that, but usually it's he him that needs the help more, right? And so he's taking taking taking. Mm-hmm. But when he sees someone that needs it, he's he's a giver. And yeah, I think he is kind. It's just like you said, it's survival. He's got to be thinking about himself first almost all the time. And what he gets from Ari as an audience, but also I think a friend that views him totally differently than everyone else. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's valuable to him as well. It's not somebody he has to always be on his guard with. Right. Other than these little rules they have, right. He's got to be, make sure to protect those rules. But other than that, he can be a little bit more at ease with her. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us maybe have, I've talked about before how I kind of have different circles that I mm-hmm. yep. exist in, right? Are they slow and circles? Slow. Some of them are real slow. <laughs> real slow. Uh, and, and there's different levels of comfort that you feel within those circles. And that's why you keep coming back to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. I, I also like he describes her as scrupulously clean and full of joy. Right. Because you think like she's like a little a little gutter she's rat. She's gonna be filthy, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, she's not. She's takes care of herself. She's you know, she's okay. Yep. Yep. Clothes might be a little tattered, but yes. Yes. Who might who might talk? Yep. There's some innocence there too, which I think is part of the cleanliness that he's referring to. So we haven't talked yet about the Aeolian and we didn't know what it was until right right now. Well, I mean, yeah, I just mean in this, in this chapter coverage, fine. Uh, And we haven't been there yet. So maybe we, maybe we save most of it, but even just the concept, I feel like this is a place, Matt, you'd be like every single night. Oh man. Do you have a place like the Aeolian, like, which was like the hub for, Maybe not even music, but for like 
artistic expression or I no, I mean so when I was in college we had there was a a group of um performers um and uh they would perform every Friday doing um doing sketch comedy and and uh hmm. and also improv games and stuff. Would they do it at the um, same place or did comedy they corner, yeah. They do it at okay. the same place. Mm-hmm. And it was this awesome, like dark cave-like thing, it had empty space like on the ground for people to sit, but also had tables if you got there early enough. Mm. It was a really cool place. Mm-hmm. And it was there for I think my first two years, and they ripped it down. They, oh. re- they rebuilt the student union and they replaced it with this garbage glass-fronted piece of bullshit. And comedy corner was never the same. Oh, that sucks. They were very talented guys, uh, guys and gals, and they were uh, very funny. And that was a great place. And so we'd go, my friends and I would gather there almost every Friday for that. But um, then it stopped abruptly. And then it just stopped. That sucks. That sucks. But not music. I didn't have a place in college where I went regularly for live music. I don't have a place now that I regularly go for live music. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the fact that I think I really enjoy live music, <laughs> just right. it's just never been something I prioritized. So maybe I guess I, I don't like it that much after all. <laughs> How about you? Uh, college for me too. There is a place called Valor. Valor. Okay. Valor. Yep. Okay. Um, it's in Provo. It, you know, say what you will about BYU and Provo. It has an amazing music scene. Really? I don't know what it is about um music down there i mean even big bands have cut their teeth in provo imagine dragons mm. you know they come from from uh the south side or down provo in um utah county um neon trees was in provo like a lot of really good and then artists you've never heard of that are just amazing and yep. there's this little club down on um University Avenue in Provo called Valor. And it was nowhere like the Aeolian sounds in terms of a pretty significant cover charge and everything. It was maybe like 10 bucks to get in the door, but you just go and you just watch whatever bands were playing that night. And sometimes you yourself would be playing and it was just an awesome atmosphere. I was there every weekend, usually Friday and Saturday night. Wow. That's cool. So I'm right. You would be at the Aeolian every night. Absolutely. I, f- I feel like I've heard of Valor, and yet I, I think maybe I've heard of it because was it, it was in one of your songs, wasn't it? Yeah, I've got a song called yeah, Valor okay. Friday Night. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. why. I'm like, that is familiar. It's an ode to that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. I thought yep. so. Matt, uh, for those that don't know, Matt is a talented musician, writes his own stuff, and sometimes shares it with me. And sometimes yeah. others. Usually. I yeah. usually share it with you. Yeah. I need to share it more. That's nice. Uh, but okay. So, but do you feel like the people that played at Valor on Friday and Saturday night, did they pay to play? No, no, I not that I know of. I never did because it seems weird. Right. But then I started thinking about like, well, we have all these shows now, right? Like American Idol and America's got talent and, there was the, uh, the dancing with the So You Think You Can Dance and all these competition shows where they're not paying you and you're maybe not paying, but you're spending your money to get there. You're spending your time and you're not being paid until 
you know, unless you win or something. Right. Right. So it's kind of similar to that. It's kind of like, okay. An investment. Pay your, pay your own way, invest and take your shot. It's kind of right. similar to that. Yep. Yep. And I think a lot of touring bands do that now too. It's mm. you pay your way to get around the country and everything to come and play at our venue. Yeah. And most of the money that artists make is on merchandise and depending on how much they pack the venue, you know, they can get a cut of that, but depending on how That's big crazy. the band is and what kind of play right. they have, but a lot of bands survive off their merch. Yeah. I mean, like I bet Metallica is not struggling, yeah. but, but like yeah, Matt Nathanson, like a... our boy that we went right. and saw together. Yeah. Now I, you make me, I should have bought something. Okay. <laughs> I didn't either. That, show. that was, a, was a good concert. <laughs> it was a great and show. The guy he was with, that was great. Woods, something Woods. Donovan Woods. Donovan Woods. I was listening Loved to him guy. just again the other day. It was oh, so yeah? great. It's yep. good stuff, man. I liked him a lot. Look him like, up on YouTube, listeners. He's got some great between song banter. His songs are beautiful. Yeah. His yeah. banter is next level hilarious. It's really good. Yeah. So his different from his good. song persona. Like, yes. And the voice that comes out of that guy is not at all what you'd expect, which is, you know, that happens pretty frequently, I suppose. But yeah, he's got some beautiful stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah. Anyways, Matt Nathanson also okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Love Maddie. Me going off again. Me going off on the uh, the opener. All right. Uh, you got much else for this chapter? What do you got? Um, I love. Again, we don't see Quoth doing a lot for Sim and Will, but their loyalty to him is significant, and I love that about the two of them. Um, you know, at one point he's talking to him about his music and everything. And Sim asks him, so you're still going at it. In other words, you're still working on your music. You're still practicing. And he says, yeah, I am. And the, the phrase that Rothfuss writes is Simon looked relieved. Mm. And I love that. He's relieved that his friend is sticking with something and liking something. I think there's also a bit of relief in the sense that Simon will kind of forced him out of his job. Right. Yes. And yes. So true. You're like, okay, so you're still having fun doing what you're doing and you're not missing your job all that much. Okay, good. There's probably some of that in there, but yeah. I think it's more of the former as well. I think, you know, these are two friends that have invested very quickly and very deeply in both. And it's evident. And Rothfuss is, as always, is very careful with his words. And relief could have been any number of other words, but relief just shows that he's concerned, mm -hmm. right? He was happy to hear it. He was, you know, whatever, would show a lot less investment. But relief indicates that he's been agonizing over this a little bit, right? Right. He's really worried about him, which is, yeah, I think it's a, a good way to put it. Yeah. And then if I'm doing my, they remember, they said that they were give him about a span and a half to go crazy at his current rate. Uh -huh. And it says in the chapter, it was only two span ago. I think that he got his loot or whatever. So, so it's, um, or that he started practicing significantly. So he's crossed the threshold. In other yes. words, he's made yes, it he's over made a span it. and a he's half without going nuts. He so. got enough sleep. He got <laughs> enough sleep. Did I ever tell on this podcast the Hour of Insanity Project story? Is that where like you went and tried to see how long my, my buddy, without sleep and your yeah, friend like my, went crazy? My, my buddy did it. So I have told it. Okay. 
we'll let, we'll let I don't remember the, all the details, though. I'll give the quick version. He, he essentially read that, and I don't know if it's really medically true now or then either, but he said that he read that if you stay up for over 72 hours, you're medically insane, right? And so he decided to do the Hour of Insanity Project in which he would stay up for 73 hours so that he could claim that he was insane for three hours. Um, this is my buddy Nick. And he didn't quite make it before he was basically falling over and like reaching for things and missing. And uh, and he slept for like 12 hours in a row. That's awesome. That's that's the story. The quick well, version. Good on him for trying. Good yeah. on him for trying. <clears throat> yep. Um, I will just point out one more thing. Uh, Rothfuss does Rothfuss or Quoth, one of the two, does a uh-huh. great job of presenting us with a series of red herrings that I'd like us to keep track of as we go along uh-huh. in re- in reference to the wi- the woman that Quoth has been slowly circling around. In our last episode, he's talked about, I've slowly been circling around this woman and it's time to get to her. It's time to finally introduce yeah. you to her, right? Yeah. The woman is coming. Yeah. In this first chapter of this block, we get Auri. So is Auri the woman? Yeah. Oh no. <clears throat> Could I, be. We we know it's not the one he was was teasing us about last episode. We were like, is it possible it's Devi? But this this chapter starts with uh oh uh, where is it? It start it starts with him saying mm-hmm. our long sought player is waiting in the wings. Yep. I've now forgotten that she is what I was moving forward toward. So we know it's not Devi. Ross are off the list. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but it could be Ari. But then, yeah, the first thing that you think as a reader, and obviously that gets dashed later on just in this yes. block of chapters in this episode. Yep. But as a first time reader, you're like, oh, he falls for this little moon fae girl. Yep. And yeah, she's sweet. Okay, let's get to know her a little better. Red herring number one. Yes. Well, probably the second one. If you count Debbie from last if chapter. If you count Debbie. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I have a note about that too. I'm like, well, it looks like we were wrong about Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> that ended quickly in the opening par- opening paragraph of the first. And sometimes he he dashes. I think I've got three or four that I identified just from this block of chapters. And sometimes it's a sentence, and sometimes it's a yeah. developed character. So, well, all, all right. right, shall we go to chapter fifty four? Place to burn. Do it. Place Matt. to burn. This is a this is a meaty chapter. It's a long one. Lengthy. You're welcome. Forgetting to summarize it. Girthy. Yes. I appreciate the opportunity. Probably, probably my favorite chapter in the whole series. Maybe. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think it's got to be mine too. Yeah. Okay. Quoth somehow gives off an impression to his friends of both calmness and a coiled spring as he makes his way to Imri, along with those two friends, to the Aeolian specifically. Uh, it's time. It's time for him to play. It's time to, for him to try for his pipes. They arrive to a bustling crowd of both listeners and musicians waiting to get in. And Quoth turns on the charm, offering to buy the doorman, whose name is Deok, a drink later as he pays his entrance fee. Deok remarks to Sim, who he's obviously already met, that he likes this one and hopes he'll play for them tonight. It's only after they enter that Sim reveals that Dayok is actually the owner of the place and has been known to throw out musicians forcibly who suck up to him. Such is the aura of Quoth. 
After dibsing a table, Quoth leaves Simon Will to get his name on the open mic list. Stanchion, co-owner of the establishment with Daok, runs that part of the business, and he's cheerful and encouraging enough until Quoth reveals to him the song he intends to play, The Lay of Sir Savian the Tralliard. A 15-minute opus that requires the most quick, precise fingerings that, when performed correctly, allow the lute to produce two voices, a melody and a harmony. Who is this? Eddie Van Halen? No. The vocal melody runs counter to that of the lute, and it's preferable that a girl join in singing the the verses as Sir Savian's love, Halloween with hers being a different counter melody as well. So there's like four different melodies we're looking at here that are going at the same time. It is the most difficult song Quoth has ever heard, but is also enough to, quote, cut a heart if performed correctly. Most people, Stanchion carefully counsels, find that a song of more moderate difficulty allows them to showcase their talent. Quoth is not most people. Put him down on the list. And no, he doesn't have a companion to sing Halloween's part. He's kind of hoping one will be in the audience who will just join in. Okay. (laughs) If that's the risk you want to take to earn your pipes and it's worth a silver talent, I hope you're as good as you think you are, Stanchion declares. As the evening goes on and the Aeolian fills up, Quoth starts to wonder if he shouldn't take Stanchion's advice and play a more simple, reliable song that he knows he could nail. But then he and his friends see him. Ambrose. Of all the people to be there that night, it had to be Ambrose. (sighs) Turns out he'd actually tried for his pipes once before and failed. And that decides it for Quoth. He was Definitely playing Sir Savian's song. And Ambrose was going to be there to hear it and to see him get his pipes. Oh, revenge. Um, With a full house, the evening's entertainment begins with those that paid their talent uh, to perform, doing it just for the sake of performing. Or there's others who are officially there to try for their pipes. Quoth was pleased to find the skill of the talented musicians to be everything it was rumored to be. One man played songs on his lute Quoth had never heard before. Another killed it on the reed pipes. Another officially tried for his pipes with a flute performance that, to Quoth's ear, only featured one mistake. But it wasn't enough. Stanchion and the crowd weren't sufficiently impressed, and the performer had to settle for the conciliatory tankard of alcohol offered him by Stanchion. Another performer, a beautiful young lady with a beautiful voice to match, was similarly disappointed. Another performer was a crowd pleaser who'd obviously performed multiple times without a care for actually earning pipes. The crowd loved him. He was bombastic. He was irreverent. He was great. And then finally, it was Quoth's turn. He paid his silver talent, a lot of money, but an amount that wouldn't do him any good on its own when it came time to square up with Devi. He had to earn his pipe so he could perform at this and other ends and finally start making a steady income. He had to nail this. And so Quoth, unknown to the crowd at large, climbed onto the stage and in shabby clothes and with an even shabbier loot, he smiles and he begins.
Sit still, for though you listen long, long would you wait without hope of a song so sweet as this, as Ilian himself set down an age ago. Masterwork of a master life of Savian and Halloween, the woman he would take. To wife. He could hear hushed whispers from a disbelieving crowd, marveling at the boy's song choice, at his voice, at his fingers plucking out not one, but two additional voices on the lute. He had them. The audience had begun to both love and fear him. But he was filled with anxiety. Because remember, there's a time coming up in the song for a female voice to join in. He played to the point. And then, strumming an intro chord, waited and waited. <laughs> and just as he was about to despair, Sabian, how could you know it was the time for you to come to me? Sabian, do you remember the days we squandered pleasantly? How well then have you carried what? have tarried in my heart in memory. He couldn't find her. She was singing from the crowd. But boy, did they sing together. His voice like branches of rock old oak and hers like a nightingale moving around the proud limbs. Quoth was so lost in the song, he forgot about time. Forgot about where he was, where the music stopped and he began. The audience, too, seemed to be in a trance. It was beautiful until twang, a broken lute string, snapping and slicing his hand. Death to the song. Death to the moment. Death to his plans. Or was it? Resetting? Kvothe began again to play the song, to pick up where he left off. The hardest song he'd ever heard. And he played it with one less string. The spell was recast in a moment over the captive audience, whom Quoth forgot was even there. His Halloween from somewhere in the crowd continued her part as well, a flawless piece of the song burning through and from Quoth. And then it was done. Quoth was sweating and bleeding, and he couldn't hold back the tears. He wept right there on the stage, not for himself but for Sir Savian and for Halloween, for those moments, for that moment right there, they were as much a part of him as he was to himself, and he wept for them. And so ends me and Scad's favorite chapter, apparently, <laughs> in this friggin' book. <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, I don't even know, your, your, your summary, thank you for the performances, first of all. Yay! Amazing. I was not expecting that. I didn't tell you on purpose. Well, I figured as much, but I appreciate it very much. Uh, I don't, I, as you're giving the summary, I'm like, why is this my favorite chapter? I'm looking at my notes, you know, like I don't have a bunch of things I'm relating to. I don't know why it's my favorite chapter. Mom. I think it's the, the slow build toward this moment. You don't mm. know how it's going to go. Uh, I don't, I don't, I can't put my finger on why I love it so much. 
I just know that I do. <laughs> How do you feel? Yeah, obviously I connect with a lot of the the song moments, right? And talking about the harmonies and counter harmonies and and him just deciding uh, there's a big part in him just taking that risk and taking that jump. I think you and I have talked about this, that we are very safe people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we don't, I feel like I don't bet on myself like I should. And that's, that's all quote does ever. That's sad for me to think about that. I don't, I'm 38 years old and I still don't bet on myself a whole lot, you know, not like I should, not to right. this degree. And yeah, you're right. He, he survives by betting on himself all the time. Yeah. And I've been in those situations where I've thought, where I've had lofty expectations and then I get in the moment and I see the perceived grandiosity of the moment and I pull back, right? Yeah. I've been in those where I've been like, I've switched things last second and made it easier for myself. And he didn't. And so that's super inspiring, right? Yeah. Part of it's revenge fueled. We talked about how much he does <laughs> motivated by revenge. I don't think it's yeah, the only reason spite. he did it, but it's part of it. Yeah. Spite. Yeah is part of it um it is for sure so uh, i'm with i'm with you for sure I love that. It, it it's both part of the most maddening thing about him and something that it, it terrifies me and also makes me respect him right i can't relate to it at all mm -hmm. he goes all in he doesn't futz about with like a middling song that he could easily get away with he goes right for the heart by doing the hardest thing he knows how to do to get these pipes. And, you know, we hear of these other people that failed and you wonder if he could have, by playing a different song, succeeded because they were very good. Well, sounds like he's better, right? But like, there doesn't look like there's a lot of margin for error in here. Right. Would he have gotten in if the string didn't break? Like, did that push him over the edge? Like, how hard is it to get these pipes? Right? But yeah. Total, yeah, total respect. The boldness too of relying on a stranger to come in and save the song with you is I can't I can't even say I respect him for that. That's lunacy. <laughs> that's just crazy. Like that's just nuts. That's nuts. This is not an easy song. It's not a song everyone knows. He at in the begin toward the beginning of the chapter, he's like Oh, there's probably seven women with their pipes in here. Sure, one of them can do it. I'm sure. Sure. They're all harpists. You don't know. <laughs> like, you don't know. Lucy, yes. you're a madman. Absolute madman. Absolutely crazy. No. And I think there's there's something very special for the reader. Um, the chapter briefly harkens back to it, and I think Rothfuss does it on purpose harkens back to Quoth sitting there lost in his loot after his parents had died. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was his only saving grace. Rothfuss brings it up in the sense of, you know, he broke strings then and that's how he learned to play without the string. So he yep. just called back that, you know, that muscle Wind's memory to do this. Yeah. Yeah. For us though, we know of the emotional connection and him rekindling that emotional connection when he bought the loot and it all coming together perfectly for him. And it's like, finally, something is coming together for him that's emotionally beautiful. That's not just him finding enough talents to, you know, pay his tuition or, 
you know, find some bread to get him through the week or something. (laughs) And totally. And this is where I think to myself for the umpteenth time, I think I said it a couple episodes ago, both just do that. Just, just, just do this for your life. You don't need Mm -hmm. to just play music, man. Just that's it. That's it. That's all. That's all you got to do. Just, you know, you're going to be fine. <laughs> like find a therapist, you know, like play music, you know, do the work and maybe come back to this family thing later. But like, just, just be happy for a little bit. Just do this. Mm-hmm. I would. I, yeah. Yeah. It's like, if I had a shred of that kind of talent, <laughs> I would be happy just yeah. playing at the Olean for forever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Buy me drinks and food and I'll just play. <sighs> nope. <sighs> Man. Hmm. Here's um where I found, at least for me, red herring number two. Okay. And that's that's uh who we find out her name is Maria. We're gonna find out, I think, in maybe the next chapter, the one after that. One with the um, uh, <clears throat> harp between your legs. Yep, the harpist singer. The way he starts to describe her, it's like, oh, she sounds pretty great. And then, nope, not her. <laughs> not great enough. Not great enough. Ugh. Yep. And then uh, while we're just talking about the red herrings, there's just this quick sentence where he's looking around and he sees this person and then he sees this person. He sees that person, a lovely dark eyed girl. And I thought, oh, is this the beginning of him seeing some girl that's going to uh-huh. You know, like keep his attention. No, nah, it's not her either. But yeah, you're right. He's he's laying he's laying him in there, trying mm-hmm. to string us along a little bit. Right. But he doesn't lead us along for very long. No, it's no. like he puts something out no, there. It's and like he's playing with us a little. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a the cat with a ball of string or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Um. What else do you got on this chapter? I was trying to find uh, there was a spot where he says um, such is human nature. And I think he's talking about. Oh, it's towards the beginning of the chapter where he's talking about Ambrose, right? And he's uh, it's not even I don't know they're talking about Ambrose yet, but he's talking about how, you know, they were wasting. They were just passing the time until it was time to perform. And they were talking about school and they were talking about girls. Yes. And then they were talking about people they liked, but more about the people they didn't like or whatever. Yes, I found right? it. Yep. We talked about who we liked in the university, but more time was spent mulling over who we didn't like and why and what we would do about it given the chance. Such is human nature. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Yep, absolutely. That completely resonated with me. Human nature is we talk about the bad stuff. We talk about who we don't like. I suppose that's true. We bring up the pain points. I don't know that we should. Yeah. Yeah. But we do. Okay. Keen observation from. (laughs) I just want to run it by you. Uh, Yeah. The the Olean, I want to come back to it real quick. Um, You know, there are inns and bars and such that have music, right? Right. He said that there's lots of places. They're all, every inn has someone playing at it. Yeah. Right. But there are inns for meals and drinking and staying. This is, it feels like a concert venue. It's and a oh, by the way, venue. there's drinks, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Like this is a place for music. The music is the feature, right? Mm-hmm. Not the drinking and not the food and not anything else, but the music. 
there are people up there that maybe they're on dates and things like that and they're maybe less focused on the music than others but mostly this is a go there for music yep absolutely no question and uh kind of like the question you asked before i love that i feel like this is just a place where certain people would just live because they like how it feels so much Mm -hmm. i just love it yeah we get we get a guy Thrape, we we don't know his. I don't know if we find out his name in this chapter or the next one. But Thrape or Threep, Threep, yep. The Count Threep, he's the he's the body irreverent singer that everybody yes. seems to love, right? Yeah. He stopped trying for his pipes years ago. Doesn't yeah. care. Right now he just goes to play, and everybody loves the guy. Yeah. Um, it probably doesn't hurt that he gives them talents every time he shows up. I mean, yeah, he's I, want, I mean, I don't know yeah. if he's giving everyone seven talents every time they play, but yeah, uh, that that could. Know. Well, yeah, but, you know, there's the type of fame that comes from just being exceptionally artistic, right? Mm-hmm. You are just a master at what you do. Yep. There's another that just comes from an ability to connect with people, right? Yes, for sure. Like, yeah, I don't know. But I think of like charismatic and. Yeah. Like in actors, who's the guy now his name just left me. I could have told you it yesterday as I was thinking about this. He plays Lincoln. He he's like oh. a big time character actor. Yeah. Doesn't do very many uh, movies. Not, he's one of my favorite actors and now I'm blanking. Oh my gosh, it's, it's too late. There will be blood. Everyone's yelling at us. Yeah, there will be blood. He's one of my favorite actors. Wow. Yep. We got it. It's coming. Daniel Day-Lewis. That's who it is. DDL. Daniel Day-Lewis. Just a master at his craft. Yeah, and yeah. rightfully respected for that. Yeah. There's also someone like the one that came Matthew to mind for me, Matthew McConaughey or Chris Pratt, you know, okay. yeah. someone that's just, they're good actors. They're, yeah. they're dandy actors, Yeah. but it's their, it's their charm. It's their, for Chris Pratt, it's someone that you can almost connect with. I watch Parks and Rec and I just Jack connect Black. with Andy Dwyer. Jack Black's a great one too. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's one of those in music terms. I was trying to think of like, who would Threep be like oh. his kind of, it sounds like his kind of grassroots he playing is kind of Bob Dylan esque and that yeah. kind of laissez faire. I don't care what I'm saying, but maybe I almost, again, it's Jack black. Maybe it's a little bit of Jack black. <laughs> I thought of, um, and maybe it's just because of the recency RIP, but I thought of Jimmy Buffett. Just the guy that mm. someone just loves just because of his fun nature and, yeah. you know, He's just going. Yeah. the message of just yeah. relaxing and taking and not taking things too seriously. So. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's carved out a place for himself in this community with being a passable musician and being self-aware mm-hmm. that he's just a passable musician Yep, and is OK with it. And loves the arts for the arts themselves and supports everyone who is really making a serious go of it. And and I think that probably earns him a lot of respect in those circles, right? He's not very phony true. about it. Yep. Right? He's yep. very authentic. Well said. Well said. He's not phony. Ambrose? <laughs> this guy. Just get out of the way. But it's interesting, right? They he notes how Ambrose wasn't his usual mocking smiley way or anything, mm-hmm. that he was more serious. Yeah. Um any ideas? Uh, 
I, I usually bullies when they're being their normal way with this mocking smile, it's because they're comfortable and they're ready to bully you. Uh-huh. When they're not, it's because something isn't right or they're nervous about something. Something about the situation they don't they don't like. I think he was probably nervous that Quoth was gonna be really good. He's been beaten by this kid, this stupid 15-year-old kid, over and over and over again in public. And then he's gonna do what he couldn't do, what Ambrose couldn't do. And maybe he's nervous. I wonder if that's it. Yeah. A nervousness. It took yeah. the smugness out of him. Right? Yeah. We recall that uh, we talked about how Ambrose apparently likes poetry. He yes. enjoys writing poetry. And we find out from Sim that he's actually performed that poetry on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't go incredibly well for him. Uh, we also remember that scene where Quoth kind of gets a look at his poetry and rips it to pieces. He calls and- it, he calls it, a limping verse falling downstairs or something. <laughs> I, I didn't get it quite right. Good call back. Well, it's better than I would have remembered. I love it. But he tears him to shreds, right? Just right in front of fella. Yep. Yeah. Just destroys him in front of a girl he was trying to impress. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if that kind of came back to him because he came with his instrument in hand, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, indicating that he might have performed that night. Yes. And maybe he was planning on it. Until he saw Quoth and went, I'm not getting up there. This was, (laughs) I don't want to engender any sort of sympathy for Ambrose, but it was like the Aeolian was his his safe space. It was his place where he felt good, where he could get up and do his poetry and maybe he wouldn't earn pipes, but he could still get up and perform that poetry. Right. And now it's not safe because Quoth is there. Yeah. It's almost, yeah, maybe it's almost like Quoth kind of, came in on some turf that he was trying to establish. Right. Maybe he would have never been, maybe he would have never gotten his pipes. Probably not. He's probably not that good of a musician or poet. Uh, but but maybe he could have been a threep over time. Yeah. Right. Just, in gen- you know, like wanted a place to perform. Mm-hmm. With, yeah. Engaged with the people and, you know, made a name for himself there and been comfortable and part of the, the music community. Maybe like he really values that mm-hmm. as a person. And yeah, I don't really want to try to give him any pity either, but yeah, Quoth maybe he just swooped in and took that. He's like, well, can't fucking go there anymore. <laughs> it's off my list. Just like Quoth is like, if he's part of it, I don't want to be here. Right? He says that. Ambrose is probably thinking the same thing. I'm out. I'm mm-hmm. out for good. Yeah. They want, well, if they want to have this punk here, I'm going. Right. I don't need those people. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't even him like wanting fame there or anything or even to become a three. He just needed a place. He wanted a place to artistically express himself. Yeah. And I imagine that like at the ends, there's not a lot of just straight up poetry reading, right? It's more music and songs and stuff. And this was the place, like you said, it's a, it's a place specifically to share your art, usually accompanied to music. And that was his place where he could express himself. (laughs) Do you get the sense though, that this place would tolerate bad art? Like if he wasn't good, like passively good. Would Stanchion be like, you know, I get that you're going to pay, but we're going to pass, buddy. Just be a listener. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. He didn't earn his pipes, but maybe he was passably good. Good enough to be able to get on stage. Say something about like, you know, that it was not good, but 
Mm-hmm. They were maybe just trying to tell Cliff what he wanted to hear. They know. also hate him. Yeah. Yeah. So. They also. T- <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, we've talked way more about Ambrose than I planned on, but yeah. Um, we'll get back to him also. Yep. We will uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, shall we move on? Do you have more for this chapter? I Our don't favorite chapter. Think I do. Nope. I'm good. I'm we, good. I'm good to go on to. We haven't really talked about. Yeah, we should spend like a minute. We haven't okay. talked at all about. You, you covered it in your summary, but we haven't talked about the string breaking and finishing a song like that, and what that would really take, and is it even possible? I mean, he's talking about all the melodies and all. I don't even know. I don't even know if that's real. I'm like, is he bullshitting or is that something that can really happen with multiple melodies coming out of guitar and your voice at the same time? Is that something people can do? I don't even know that. Uh, yeah, it's possible. And it is very tricky. Um, if you guys, I was thinking of examples, a great example of a song that's being sung to a very different melody is a song called Fool to Think by Dave Matthews Band. Go listen to that. The guitar part is so different from what Dave Matthews is singing. John, why don't you go listen to that? Because I know how much you love Dave Matthews Band. Um, another one is Stop This Train by John Mayer. And that, that's a beautiful song. You'd like that song, Scad. That's a song you would like. Uh, Stop This Train by John Mayer. And in it, he's actually like, as he's strumming the guitar, he's also tapping his thumb against the top string, which makes a percussive sound. So it's Uh almost like he's keeping the beat with his thumb Uh as the rest of his fingers are playing something. It's so, I can't, I I tried it for years and I can't get it down like he can, but. And then doing something else with his voice. So it is like three, just kind of like what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. A little bit. So doing exactly what he's saying, maybe a little tricky, but Yeah. yeah, you could play like one note and then harmonize that note, right? Like he could pick a, a B a B note and then also have a D going and have that harmony, but uh, it would be hard. tricky and you'd have to be really precise with your notes and everything. It'd be like playing stairway to heaven and then taking yeah. a string out of the mix. Yeah. Okay. Keep playing it. I feel like we talked about that before a little bit when he was first learning how to play with six strings, but it seems like hardest song in the world. Is that possible? Do we, I mean, I guess it is. I think you explained this before. Like, you can achieve the same sound by sliding up the neck and right. Playing. Yeah, like once, like one note, an A, for example. Yeah. There's a the second top string on the guitar is an A. Uh-huh. You just play it open without pressing anything down on the fretboard, and you're playing yeah. an A. That second uh-huh. string. Also, if you but if you go to the top string and play on the fifth fret that makes the same a sound sound. so you can compensate right but it would be very tricky a string that you were planning on just playing open now all of a sudden you got to get a finger in the right spot to play it and it's not the way you would ever play a sounds like or not usually it just depends on the song yeah okay so and where your fingers are already at okay like okay so possible it's possible it's possible but you would have to like if you were playing math on the fly then you'd all of a sudden have to get to the D that's over here because your yeah. string's gone. That would have been where you'd normally play it. Right. It'd be, it would be super tricky. Yeah. Okay. And to do uh, it on the fly like that, like you're saying. Yeah. You just have to 
possess a mind that I definitely don't even come close to possessing. One more thing just about music, and maybe we have to touch back on, you know, the fact that I'm not as big a fan of music as I thought I was. <laughs> you have a song that makes you cry every time you hear it. Because I know that saying, every time. He's talking about how he remembers, you know, breaking the string and playing with six strings and five strings and the loss of his family and all this stuff. And at the end of the chat, the only non-believable part of this chapter to me is that he talks about how he breaks down crying at the end. And it's not about him or his journey or anything he's been going through. It's just because of the, the song that he's heard a million times. Well, mm-hmm. not a million, but seven, you know, a bunch of times and played it a bunch of times. And it still makes him cry. You believe this? Nope. Uh, I believe he <laughs> cried. Yeah. But I call BS. Uh, I throw, I'm throwing the BS flag. Uh, I think it is very much about him. Yeah. The, this yeah. is the reason he's crying. What about you? Well, I, don't, I, I mean, that's what I would say. But he says in the text, he's like, I cry every time. Every time I hear it. Mm -hmm. and so i mean there are songs certainly that touch a part of you and you end up crying from the song but it's really about stuff you got going on right right yep songs hit different at different times yep that could be happening i suppose but he's very specific about like no i'm crying about Sabine and alan in this song like their journey is tragic and it makes me cry and And i'm calling a little bit of bs on that yeah feels yeah feels i believe there's part of it yeah. yeah, I believe right. that, you know, my favorite song in the whole world is called Number 41 by Dave Matthews Band. Um, and I can listen to that song, whether I'm happy, sad, uh, mourning, uh, joyful, nervous, any type of feelings. And I somehow find a way to connect to it. And it's made me, I've cried a number of times listening to that song. I don't know that it's made me cry, but the emotional connection that I feel in that moment or, you know, the lyrics of whatever I'm feeling, it you know it brings that out of you so well fade to black is my favorite song and and i've, broke, I've broken things to it that's still an emotional connection that i think is very important <laughs> and i think we should talk about I've ever more. cried i don't think i've ever cried but, uh, <laughs> but depending on interpretation it is a very deeply emotional song uh shall we shall we move on you got anything else nope i think i kept us here longer than longer than we thought we would it's so. a big chapter it's worth it staying on a big it chapter yeah. all right we'll move on to flame and thunder and uh we're gonna try actually we're gonna do two chapter summaries here together you probably won't even notice but i warned you anyway after he was finished with his emotional reaction to the song quote returned to his audience sitting waiting expectantly and nervously performing for an audience always has this doubt attached to it no matter how confident the performer is in the performance whether it had the same reaction and effect on the audience as intended is never known until confirmed Nothing but silence poured from the audience. Quiet, tense, still and tight. Each member of the audience holding their reactions in. Then sobbing. Then weeping. Finally some movement. And thunderous applause. Now the crowd reaction to an emotional song was one thing. Stanchion's judgment after weighing those crowd opinions might be quite another. Both sat, restringing his lute as he waited for the verdict, looking at his broken string. It wasn't strayed or worn, and he hadn't let it out of his sight. It wasn't tampered with. How had this happened? Stanchion approached and shook his hand like he had the others that evening, and Quoth was let down, until the hand withdrew, leaving a set of silver pipes in his hand. The Aeolian roared a welcome. Upon returning to his friends, both learned that they liked it very much as well. Simon is a sobbing mess, 
and Willem had red eyes and recommended some scutton, a liquor from his homeland. Kvothe had promised to float them home with drinks if he wanted his pipes, and buy the drinks he does. But first, Stanchion gifts him a tankard of methylene. It's amazing, but even Kvothe says that if you haven't tried it, then it cannot be described. So I'm not going to try. They toast to Savian and Alwyn and drink deeply before Stanchion asks, where did you learn to play with a missing string? Short version that Quoth gives him, it's just something I picked up. From there, it is a flock of admirers coming to visit Quoth and congratulate him on his performance. There are typically two types. Those that understand how hard it was to finish the song with six strings, and those that don't. I guess I'm, I'm on the those that don't part, until just now when you told me. Count Threep was among them, praising his quality, celebrating a too brave boy that dared to finish the song with six strings and wondering how he didn't know of Quoth until now paying him seven talents without a thought. Tax the rich, folks. Let's let's do it. I cannot take your money, Quoth insisted, but Threep was genuinely confused. Why ever not? Threep insists that it takes those with money to properly fund the arts. Oh yeah, it does. And Quoth is worth funding, even worth helping to find a patron. Quoth slides the talents in his pocket and breathes his first carefree breath in months. And me too. His debt to Debbie can be paid. After Threep, it was more admirers and well-wishers to Quoth. He can hardly keep them apart in his mind. Before too long, Quoth is wondering about Ambrose. Apparently, he left the Aeolian between the ending of Quoth's song and him receiving his pipes. He was pale and weak, and Quoth suspects he may have used sympathy to break his string. Quoth took a tremendous amount of pride in having finished the song in spite of him. Both itched to find his Alowin as well. Amongst all the well-wishers, he hadn't found her, so he went in search on his own. But even as he searched, his inner voice warned him not to get his hopes up. How would he know her? She must have left by now. No woman could live up to the voice of Alowin that had saved him. And yet, after searching the many levels of the Olean, nearly giving up, he heard a voice of burning silver. He looked up. He saw her. Beautiful. And that is the end of those two chapters. Are we done? Are we done with our red herrings? <laughs> I, think, right. I think we are. I cut you off. Flame. So that was just covering Flame and Thunder, as well as Patrons, Maids, and Methylene. Chapters 55-56. Uh, I love that little chapter. Uh, Me too. Flame and Thunder that just focuses on the on the crowd reaction. Um, I feel like it's a it's kind of a chapter that performers get, right? Um, mm, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you don't perform or have never performed, it's maybe don't quite relate to it as much. But if you do, we've all been there. Like, what was it? How'd I do? I thought it was good. Yeah. <laughs> like, was uh-huh. it good? You know, what, what's the reaction? What about you, Matt? What do you think? Same. I was uh, reminded of uh, the chapter. Oh, man. What was it called now? Yet to Learn. It's chapter 34. It's where Quoth was playing Joseph's lute with the caravan when he was traveling to the university. Mm -hmm. And if you'll remember, he picks up, you know, the other traveler's lute and starts playing. And the guy's like, oh, hey, be careful. Like, don't tune it. Like, be careful with it. Thinking Uh Quoth does not apply. Then Quoth just launches into this beautiful song. Now compare this to what you just read about what happened in that chapter. This is what is described in in yet to learn 
after he finishes playing. He says, I looked up to see everyone perfectly motionless, their faces ranging from shock to amazement. Then, as if my gaze had broken some spell, everyone stirred. Rowan shifted in his seat. The two mercenaries turned and raised eyebrows at each other. Derek looked at me as if he'd never seen me before. Retta remained frozen, her hand held in front of her mouth. Denna lowered her face into her hands and began to cry in quiet, hopeless sobs. Mm-hmm. That moment of silence yep. and then reaction. Yes. Same thing. Which, you know, most people can't get out of an audience that type of reaction. Usually, most of the time, it's just immediate applause. Yeah. Lowered Only... her face into her hands and began to cry in hopeless sobs. Yeah. Similar to Simon. Yeah. Yeah. I it it's it's a rare thing I think for that to be the reaction of yeah more of, of most of an audience at least right mm-hmm. I mean the occasional audience member perhaps but usually it's immediate applause I feel like yeah I think the first time I ever heard uh, not my father's son which is a, a song from Kinky Boots I'd never heard the music the musical saw it for the first time live and uh, it made me silent. But everyone else was, I mean, most people were applauding and, and loud. So it's and a you pretty were just rare like, thing. I was just like, whoa. Whoa. What did That's I just nice. hear? Yeah. Yeah. Still one of my still one of my favorite pieces of music. But um Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like that's a it's a rare thing. Mm-hmm. Looking at this chapter now, it really is like a, a mirror of of the uh of what happened in the Aeolian. This chapter clear back yeah. at, with the caravan. And yeah. it said, Joe, I just saw this one, this part. Joseph simply stood. His face was stricken and bloodless as if he'd been stabbed. <laughs> so there's our Ambrose. Yeah. Right. That's Ambrose. Yeah. And even at the end, uh, leave Quoth to himself for now. Everyone deserves a moment or two alone when they desire it. And if by chance there were tears, let us forgive him. Right. And so he, so he, he got emotional. Too. He yeah. got emotional as well at this right. part. And that one very much likely was about himself and mm-hmm. his music, whether this one was or not. But yeah, similar reaction. So uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What music does to himself and what it does to others, not just music, but the performance of music. There's something magical about Quoth as a performer, I think, that goes yeah. beyond just his technical ability. Yeah, I I think that's true. Yeah, he's he engages and enwraps people somehow mm-hmm. um, with his performance quality. Yeah. Just him as a person, right? As you're saying yeah. that, I'm thinking of Dayok and how he offered to buy him a drink, and yeah. Dayok was like, "Sure, sounds great." And then Sim's like, "He hates when people do that." Like, yeah, the, there there yeah there was in your chapter. I didn't leave the note, but um, there's a line that says, "No one can take him anywhere." Both <laughs> is always the one dragging everyone around and it, like it's his story true. he's always kind of the one not like the center of attention maybe but like he's always kind of the one driving the action i know it's his story yeah, like, but like we said sim and will are investing in him yeah right, right. for whatever reason right you can't take him anywhere he takes you places like, <laughs> you can't make him he's he's driving the boat right even <laughs> even when he goes into the aeolian you know, he's driving the conversation. Chuck you know, Norris wears Quoth pajamas. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> do, you, do you find when you're performing that it's mostly about the art or mostly about the audience or both? 
like in terms of for you what i'm feeling yeah the biggest thing for me is connection so i I guess i can't give you a a one or the other answer Mm -hmm. i i love it when i'm able to forge a connection with an artist through what they are performing and whether that's an emotional connection or what it's hard to describe unless you felt it right it's like methaglin maybe but where you've just you have forged an emotional connection through what's being presented to you or what's being played. And I think you're playing. That's definitely in my mind is I need to put myself, I need to be transparent and open-hearted enough. I need to bear my soul enough that someone else, and whether that's in a fun, joyful way or in just a really earnest, heartfelt way, Mm -hmm that someone can connect with me because that's where true enjoyment of a song comes in. I think. Okay. You're not so much as the music, but stage. Is that similar? Well, I've, I've had, I've had conversations with, with some of my theater friends about this before. And I disagree with, I haven't found anyone to agree with me, but I, I kind of always, not always. At some point, I came to the conclusion that I don't. Sounds bad. I don't care about the audience, mm-hmm. like at all. Like it's not my job to worry about how the audience um, takes it or reacts to it. It's my job to be honest to the character and on honest to what the interpretation, the director's interpretation of what the author intended. That's my job, and and so I do it for that connection, my connection yeah. to the character, and and delivering an honest performance. And so, you know, one of my friends, I've talked about her before. Her name's Mary. She owns a dinner theater company. And that's all about connection. It's comedy. It's slapsticky. A lot of the time it's jokes. It's interacting directly with people, mm-hmm. you know, that are in the audience do it, you know, eating dinner while you're performing for them. And so I've done a few shows like that and, you know, I can certainly do it. But um, when I tell her why I don't love doing her shows, that's what it is for me. It's like, I don't, I don't want that with the audience. I want to, to connect with the character and do that part. And, you know, the performance is kind of a separate part and she's never understood it. Uh, no one, no one has understood it when I talk to them about it. They're like, what do you mean? It's, it's for them. There, there is no show without the audience. I'm like, that's true. I don't care. Right. And, and I, I don't know. I feel guilty about it sometimes, I guess. Well, I think that's when people can perceive and feel the emotional connection that you're making with your character that in turn helps them connect emotionally. So, I mean, there's, it doesn't have to be like audience interaction to form a connection like Donovan Wood or Matt Nathanson, right? Um, There's artists, you've probably been to concerts too, where the artist actually says very little, but it's still an amazing concert because of what they put yep. into the actual performance of it. Yep. Right? So yeah, man, I think there's totally room for that kind of thing. I think it was the Foo Fighters and they feed off each other, right? Like I think it was Dave Grohl and he had an incident a few years ago where he, you probably remember this. We might've talked about it on the podcast where he fell off the stage. He was going so crazy. He fell off the stage and broke his leg, like snapped his that. leg. And it was probably like five years ago. Okay. Falls off the stage, snaps his leg, like breaks his leg hardcore mid song. Mm-hmm. 
He's rushed off to the hospital. The mm-hmm. rest of the band keeps performing songs while he's gone. They're thinking, well, the show's pretty much over, but these people paid mm-hmm. a lot of money to be here. Yeah. So we're going to give them a show. So right. they play just songs that they know. The drummer back then, R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins, he was a great singer. And he was sing- he sang lead vocals, playing the drums, and the rest of the band they played. And Dave Grohl comes back they with a cast on his leg. Day? No, they, this at this point, they've got like six guys in the band. Oh, I didn't know that. They've got quite a few. Yeah, they've got two other guitarists. They've even got a keyboardist now. Oh, okay. Drummer, bass, and Dave, who were also plays guitar. Were they a three-piece? Yes, they were. Okay. And they started out as just drum, bass, guitar. And they brought in not one extra guitarist, but two extra guitarists now. Why not? Just for a wall of sound. Yep, why not? Um, Dave Grohl comes back from the hospital. Cool. He has to sit the entire performance with he's sitting on a chair with his leg propped up in a cast uh-huh. and a person has to sit in front of him and basically hold his leg steady. Uh-huh. And Dave's sitting in a chair, Mike down here with his guitar and they finish the show. That's cool. Isn't that, isn't that so bad? Eh? That's, that's fucking metal. They build even more metal. They build a throne for him, like a guitar throne. It looks like the iron throne from game of Thrones, uh-huh. but it's guitars. Uh-huh. That he sits in for the rest of the tour. He doesn't That's stop cool. the tour after that show. They keep the tour going and he sits for the rest of the tour in this great big guitar throne, right? That's cool. <laughs> Cast it up. So, and and he talked about how, you know, recognizing, doing the opposite of what you're saying, recognizing the audience and the sacrifice that they've made to support yeah. them as a band. And that in turn, promotes that sense of motivation and I've got to throw everything I have at this performance for them. Right. Right. So it's a synergy, right. That feeds off each other. That's a very long story for me. Just wanting to say that, but I think it's one of the coolest stories in all of rock is Dave Grohl breaking his lip. It's pretty rad. Yeah. It's metal. I love it. Yep. Anyways. Um, you asked this before, and this is the time to bring it up. Do you think Quoth would have gotten his pipes had he not broken the string and kept going? Yeah, I I don't know. I I asked that prematurely, didn't I, before we did that chapter? That's, That's why. But uh I don't know. I f- right? I feel like I feel like, you know. They've got to give somebody the pipes. There are people that have them. <laughs> so like he did this masterful performance. His instrument breaks. It was a 20 minute performance before or 15 minute performance or whatever before it broke. And it was masterful. And people were enwrapped. Would yeah. they just be like, yeah, you know, give it to him. Right. It's like what he did made it a legend. Right. If he hadn't finished it, it wouldn't have been legendary. But I think maybe he'd have got him anyway. I don't know. Yeah. I like to think so too, for the reasons that you said. I mean, the somebody's got to get them. Enchanted. It's yeah. yeah. It sounds like it was a fantastic performance, and then a string breaks. You're going to hold that against right. him. But that kids, elevated dude. elevates it from from cool performance. Wow, that was really great yeah. to legendary. The stuff they're going to be yeah. talking about there for years yeah. and years, right? Right. Like it's cool to see Sidney Crosby scored three goals in a playoff game to will his team to victory or something. It's another thing to hear. Sidney Crosby scored three goals to will his team to victory. And he was playing on a broken foot at the time. 
right? right. That elevates cool achievement to yeah. legendary status. The, the the Michael Jordan fever game, right? Oh, the fever game. That's right. an even more well known. Same, same thing. Yeah. 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 I don't even yeah. I don't even remember anymore. It's a legend. It's like it was 107, I think. I have no idea. But I just remember he Doesn't was get a fever, right? It probably was like 103. Points. And then by the end of it, yeah. like nowadays, it's like, yeah, a fever 112. Like... 170 put up 45 <laughs> points and 91 rebounds. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know the details. We just know yeah. the legend, right? In and 20 years, yeah, the right? story of Quoth is going to be, he had three strings broken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And he sang Alwyn's part himself. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time. Yeah. Um, uh, I love how you talked about the when he got his seven talents. He said, "I drew my first carefree breath, carefree breath in two months. It felt good." And you're like, "Felt good for me too." He said in your yeah. summary. Yeah. Oh, Relief. I love this book, but I'm so anxious when I'm reading it. Uh-huh. I'm like so uptight. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the women, the harp, the harpist. Uh, so he gets all these admirers coming by, right? Uh, Threep is one of them and pays him the seven talents, which we're so grateful for. And he's, you know, I think he's the most notable person that came by that we need to like take note of, you know. But uh, he did have the harpist lady come by. Mm-hmm. And she asked him, if he'd show her some harp fingerings. Yep. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> and his friends won't let him live it down because he doesn't know that she's flirting with him. Yeah. Uh and then and then I thought, and I'm like, he's 15. And I don't know what to say about it, I guess. I'm but I'm bringing it up. He's 15 and all these lecherous women are like i mean maybe he looks older but he must goodness gracious he must he's 15 leave the kid alone yeah Yeah. but uh anyway he doesn't understand women at all but he i can't tell whether tote is doing that on purpose or whether he still doesn't get that he didn't get women Mm -hmm. right Feels like he must know now. He feels like he must know now. There have been times where I've realized later that, like, oh, I think she kind of liked me. Crap. Yeah. Gosh, it didn't happen often. And when you're 15, you don't know anything. Right. I mean, remember how you were when you were 15. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't the type of boy that girls liked. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't happen often. I had a you know, a girlfriend when I was 15. Did you? I think that was when I was 15. Yeah, her name was Brooke. We went to church together before I was a devout atheist. Yeah, nice. Uh, but I uh, I don't remember much about it, to be honest. Like, we did, like, I think I kissed her once, maybe. And it was awkward Good and terrible. Good man. Good man. Uh, but I didn't know what I was doing. I'd walk her home. You know, like, I'm not really even sure she liked me. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know anything when you're 15 years old. You don't know. Did you guys talk? 
like like yeah, have we, conversations yeah, we, yeah on the phone and stuff yeah i'm trying to remember like what i talked about with yeah well, girls back know. then i don't know what i talked about i'm sure it was inane and boring it's gotta have been so awkward yeah went to soccer today oh cool it was good scored a couple goals on the practice game <laughs> biology was cool because yeah at that age you don't know how to like maybe kids do these days but you don't really know how to have a conversation you know how to talk about yourself that's how yeah. a lot of adults have conversations still but. I, I mean i was gonna say if i didn't have this material to talk about i'm not sure maybe i've just gotten lazy or don't like it anymore <laughs> like if i didn't have material to talk about i don't know if i'd be good at this either mm-hmm. right i mean you and i talk we banter beforehand and stuff and we talk about our lives i guess but like I don't I don't desire even to call my best friend on the phone and talk for any substantial period of time. I don't want to talk on the phone. Right. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Uh not necessarily. I'm I'm not a guy that's like, hey, I just want to talk. Yeah. No. Nope. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I talk a lot at work. I don't know. I I feel like I guess I'll long story short, too late. I think I was better at it then than that. Okay. <laughs> but but maybe not. Maybe I was right. really boring. Right. Well, I, the way that a lot of people talk, converse, is they just talk about themselves. Yeah. It really, like, when I was a kid, I used to do this and this and this. And you'd say, when I was a kid, I do this and this and this. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I do. And <laughs> it's just basically trading stories. Trading You're stories. not really having a conversation about like a third thing that you can both just talk about. Correct. Yep. The subject is always me doing mm-hmm. something. And that reminds you of you doing something. Right. Instead of like, hey, let's talk about Syria. <laughs> and you're already, when that person is talking, you're already thinking of the next thing you're going to say, right? Yeah. And so you're not really yeah. listening to them. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. I hope I'm not that way. I think I I consciously try not to be, yeah. but I think sometimes I fall into it. I'm going to try harder now. Play I feel like you listen to me. Huh? I feel like you listen to me. Huh? I feel like you listen to me. That's all I got. Uh, I love Threep. There's no nothing to say. Just a great guy. But I don't love him as much as I love Willem. Willem is such like a... Sweetheart. He is, but also like a masculine... Like... Lord of I'm too tough to do anything. Dude, everyone's crying. You can just cry. Uh-huh. Like, just let down the walls, buddy. Give me right. a big hug, you big bear. You know? I love yep. that guy. Him and Sim are just classic, the yeah. classic polar opposite friendship yes. type yes. thing. And it's like, how are you guys even friends? But yes. here they are. Laurel and Hardy pair. Or a, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what the good comparison is. Jay and Bob. There you go. Yeah, Willem could be a Bob. Dante and Randall. Mm-hmm. Neither of them is anywhere nearly as annoying as Dante, though. <laughs> Started watching Clerks 3 the other day, just for Did fun you? again, just to put something on. Was it fun? It's fine. It's fine. It's there fine. Are moments. There are moments. That's the way I feel about all of Kevin's new stuff. There are good moments. There are fantastic moments, yeah. A lot of it's yeah. hard to get through. 
Mm-hmm. But there's always like there's always like two or three like really good poignant this is human life moments that, right. that pull me in. Right. But, and the scenes with Rosario Dawson and Clerks Three are those moments for yep. sure. One hundred percent. A couple of them for sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, do you want to jump out of the story a little bit and go to the interlude? Go to coat. I think I think we're gonna to go to an email. Oh, it's time. Yeah. It's time. Uh yeah, we can do that. Um let's do it. So well, one one more real quick question. Okay. Would you have waited in your seat patiently as all these people came to talk to you without going to find Alan? Or would you have been more impatient and gone to find her like immediately? You know, Scott, I hate to say it. I'd stay in my seat because I would bask in the glory of the moment. I would 100% be like full of myself and be like, come to me. Tell me how great I was. Okay. I I think I would like hold court like that. And I hate to say it. Wouldn't get you. The curiosity would be there. Yeah. But I think the vanity would overrule it for the moment. It hurts to say that, I but I, I think, think I would do that. From that perspective, but maybe, you know. Hmm. Okay. Ready maybe I'd be like, I really want to, uh, just, just a sec, guys. I really need to find this girl. Like, But wait here. Wait here. Yeah, Please, yeah, I yeah. want you to tell me wait how for great me. I am. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're going to leave, write it down. <laughs> can you record it into this? Oh. Deok, can, or Stanchion, can you record what they're going to say? And Yeah, that'd be great. Hire me a chronicler. Get a, get a picture of each one too, so they can. Never mind. Um, we got an email. <laughs> we got an email. We got an email from listener Cheryl. Listener Cheryl so had Cheryl. a great little question, and she. I'm so glad you're enjoying our coverage of the uh, of the Chronicle, Cheryl. So, we thought this was a good time to bring it up. Uh, Scad, can I read the question? Go for it, yeah. Okay. She says, Cheryl says, this is a question that's particularly relevant to the section on the name of the wind that you covered in episode 146. Kvothe spends so much time worrying about money. Yes, he does. He's surrounded by wealthy young nobles. He goes to Imre where sponsorship is a thing. In fact, it's an important part of the economy. But not once does it occur to him to write a letter to the baron who sponsored his father. Sure, the Baron might have ignored him or denied who he was, believing him to be dead, but it's worth a try, isn't it? Of course, I recognize that getting money from the Baron would remove the necessity of including Devi in the story, and nobody wants to see her go, but it absolutely drives me crazy that it doesn't even cross his mind. Seriously, it seems like a no-brainer. Scad, thoughts on Cheryl's email? First of all, I, I want to say uh, if we cut the email short a little bit, there was also a part in there where she's uh, singing the praises of the voice acting and the voices chosen uh, mm, you know, mm-hmm. as well. I didn't put it in here because there wasn't really a question, but I want to throw that out there for those uh, that might be interested in the audiobook. Cheryl thinks it's great um, uh, with the choices they make for the different character voices. So just want to throw that out too. Uh, so what do I think? I think it's a great question. Um you know, I, 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 like I presume Cheryl does, I hate when the reason for something not happening is, well, because then there'd be no story. 
who did that. Like, there has to be, if we can think of it, then Quoth, who spends his whole life living it, would think of it too. And so there needs to be some logical reason why he wouldn't do this, right? And for me to be satisfied when I'm reading the story. I think there are a few, none of them fully satisfy me for sure. Um, I don't want to spoil because it's the non-spoilery section, but th this does come up. Uh, a little bit, a little bit later in the in the story again, um, in in which point he actually remembers um, Lord Grey Fallow and the fact that his troop traveled all over, um, without you know going into detail. And um, I found this; I was reminded of this by reading a there's a on Tor.com. Tor is the publisher uh, that published these books, um, and they have Joe Walton. She's an author. Um, she did a reread like we're doing and wrote about every chapter, mm. uh, every section of chapters, kind of like what we do several at a time. And then there's message boards and stuff below to talk about it. That's awesome. If you want to go check that out there, there's really good thoughts in there. I get a lot of, a lot of things from there when I'm Googling around. Um, but she brought this up that, you know, that it's odd that, you know, thinking about Lord Greyfowl, even in that moment, didn't kind of make him think about writing to him. So you're not alone, Cheryl, in, in noticing this. Um, I think there are some reasons, but what what do you think, Matt? Did you is it something you thought of as, as well? Um, Quoth is very good at compartmentalizing, hmm. uh, and he he puts a lot of things in boxes that he'll eventually he brings out later. We've seen him do it a couple of times in this block of chapters. Um, I didn't research this as thoroughly as I think you did. But one of the things that I thought about was that a lot, almost anything that has to do for, uh, with his parents that doesn't also have to do with revenge is something that he's packed away. Yeah. He's put it away and it's not even a part of his life unless it has to do with the vengeance that he's seeking. And Lord Greyfellow is just part of that. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. This a similar idea came up when Bast interrupts him um, at the at the uh, at, at the inn, and he says, "Why didn't you go to Abenthe instead of staying in terrible Tarbine?" And that's the reason, kind of given then, right? Is that's not where I was, man. My brain was not in that place to go find things with this memory I was trying to bury, right? And he talks about the different doors that we use to protect ourselves and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. so that was a reason for not going to find Aventhe immediately. And so I think some of those reasons hold true still. I also think it's similar to kind of to what you were saying. You know, you mentioned compartmentalizing. I think he's very focused, right? And so it became, okay, I have this memory, got to deal with the Chandrian. And it was like, okay, that's that's the immediate thing. That's what I have to do right now. And nothing stops him until something stops him. And so, like, I think maybe had he not gotten into the university, he might have been like, huh, or he couldn't afford it. He might have been like, huh, okay, okay, what do I do now, right? But he kind of always had easier paths than having to go find Aventhe or get to Greyfellow, right? There were always easier ways for him to succeed more immediately than doing that. Greyfellow is really far away. It would take him months to go there and see him in person and try to get get some money um and would gray fallow really just believe it first of all did he even get wind get wind of what happened to the troop yeah does he even know really know that they're dead does, mm -hmm. i mean you come across a murdered wagon of people you don't know who they are do they 
And do you recognize the insignia that from a place that's 200 miles away? You're a country bumpkin. You don't know. Like, does does he even know what happened? Does he think that the Demaru, his troop, just made off with his stuff that he gave them and decided to live a different life? He has no idea, right? Maybe. And if he was informed, then he probably thinks Foth would have met the same end. And so why would he really believe this, right? I think sending word, sending believable word through this country is difficult. Um, and I think he'd get, even if Gray Fallow got the letter, he'd be like, huh, okay, what do I even do? do what do I do about this? Am I going right. to, do I believe this enough that I'm going to send somebody on a dangerous and long trip to go find this kid and With give him a sack money? of money? <laughs> what am I, what am I really expected to do here? Like if he comes to me, okay. But like I said in the beginning, none of those things really, really satisfy me. Feels like he could have, especially now that he's got seven talents in his pocket, let's write a letter and send it. There is a postal service system they talk about, you know, a, a little bit later in these books. I don't think that's a huge spoiler. Um, I don't know how efficient it is or how expensive, but like, feels like he could have mailed something. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not totally satisfied either, Cheryl. But I think there are, there are reasons that make it complicated. Yeah. I like there, you know, in addition to emotional reasons, uh, there's also just plain logistical reasons. The, yeah. The ones you brought up. Short of him going there himself, which like you said, would take months probably. Yeah. And he's got a mission, right? He's, and he's in, he's in the university. He's succeeding yeah. kind of, right? He thinks he's got a path forward until he doesn't. Maybe mm -hmm. when he had to take that loan from Debbie, maybe that should have been something that a stopping point. Mm -hmm. But he, but in his mind, in that moment, he had two days to get the money, right? Like he he couldn't send a letter and wait. He needed right. the money right then, and so he did what he immediately had to do to succeed. And his life is very much that way. It's moment to moment, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and, maybe he would have gotten money for, I don't know, the semester like two or three semesters later. Yeah. Right. If he wants to be that forward thinking, but like you said, he's focused on the moment. I got to pay tuition in two days. I'm not thinking of two semesters down the road. I'm thinking of tomorrow. Right. <clears throat> he has to. Yep. It was like in Tarbine. And yet without spoiling. Well, yeah, well, we'll leave it, but <laughs> yes, very much now. No breaks need to go. Keep studying, keep learning about the Ammer and the Chantrian. And... Yep. Good question, Cheryl. Thank you Thank for reaching you. out. Yeah. Guys. It's a joy to read and fun to think about. Yeah. Send us your questions too. We'll read them on the podcast. If they're good ones, if they suck, we won't. Just yeah. kidding. Come on. I'm not kidding. <laughs> All right. I, I'm not one to... of those people that believes there are no dumb questions. That's true. <laughs> I'm with you there, pal. Uh, back to our groundbreaking coverage of uh, the King Killer Chronicle. And I know that because I have kids, Matt. I know that there are dumb questions because I have kids. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interlude. The parts that form us. It seems like it would be an easy transition to continue this story from where he left off to relate how they came together and shared this moment of triumph. But Cloth must describe this Alwyn to move the story forward. And he just doesn't know how. 
His alloin is crucial to the story, and getting her description of wrong could wreck the whole thing. Here we learn that Bast has seen Denna, and he offers help. She had perfect ears, like they were carved out of something. He insists it is hard to find a pretty girl with the right sort of ears. But Quoth, despite the ear help, is still struggling. There was something intangible and compelling about her, a spark. He can see no wrong. And Bast jumps in. She had a crooked nose, Reshi, and she had a narrow face. She was not a perfect beauty by any means. <laughs> but even Bast concedes that she had something special. She had smiled at him, and it went right down into him. I'm just going to read part of the way that Quoth describes her. If I can get back to the page, there it is. No matter where she stood, she was in the center of the room. Do not misunderstand, she was not loud or vain. We start a fire because it flickers, because it glows. The light is what catches us. But what makes a man lean close to a fire has nothing to do with its bright shape. What draws you to a fire is the warmth you feel when you come near. The same was true of Denim. But apparently he had shared too much. Because his face twists. His eyes grow dark and violent, and he tore Chronicler's pages up, making him rewrite the pages just before the description of Denim. Then start from a point of comfort in his narrative. He's realized he can't capture her beauty accurately, so he will just be brief. She was dark-haired. It was long and straight. She was dark of eye and fair-complexed. Her face was oval, her jaw strong and delicate. She was poised and graceful. Finally, say that she was beautiful. Both, she was most beautiful. Though she was still beautiful to others, as we will see. That's the end of that chapter. What do you think, Matt? Why does he rip up Chronicler's pages? Yeah, what's with that? What's with the sudden change in attitude? Yeah, because he realized he spoiled it and said her name too soon. I don't know. I mean, um, because <laughs> I noticed that like my second time reading, it's like, wait, okay. he spends all this time saying we're circling around this woman, da, 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 da. we're gonna see her, we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there, and then he just drops her name right here, he just says it. It's true, and the next what chapter names for beginning has a whole section about how she doesn't really give him her the name that he's expecting from her, right? Uh huh. So yeah, maybe maybe it is just that he said her name. I didn't think of that. He goes, "What draws you to a fire is the warmth you feel when you come near." The same was true of Denna. I didn't realize it my first read through. It was my second read through. I was like, "Wait, yeah. he says her name right there. He says who it is." They give us all these red herrings and everything, and then they just drop the name before we even get to the moment where they meet. Yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> I think maybe you're right. I'm just scrolling back through. She had a crooked nose, Bass says. Bass never says her name. Mm-hmm. I think you're I think maybe you're right. He just spoiled it. <laughs> so he gets pissed at himself and he's like, gosh dang it. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just upset at the storytelling. <laughs> component I, of it like ah i'm good at telling stories how did i screw this up That's let me be clear i don't so, think that it actually was that but it is interesting that he's he completely spoils it he's already given the name right we've talked about denna before he's told the story about meeting denna at the you know, sure traveling group so sure it's not like her name is really a secret but the storytelling component yeah it might be frustrated right like well yeah it's like you were meeting we're gonna finally meet this lady yeah it's Denna. oh crap i just said her name Right. Gosh, he doesn't want it. the name. He wants the, the story to have a surprise in it. He gets, it says he uh, 
His expression twisted as, as, as if each word he spoke rankled him more and more. Yeah. While the words were clear, they matched his expression as if each one was rasped with a rough file before it left his mouth. She, what am I doing? What good can come of this? So I feel like, um, I don't know. I don't have much behind it, but it feels like he's overshared. There's something about Denna. I felt this from early in this reread. But there's something about her that he wants to keep secret and unknown. Yeah. He, he doesn't struggle with oversharing and descriptions for other characters, right? He doesn't worry about how he describes them. There's something about her specifically that it feels like he wants to protect. And I don't know what it is, but that's the sense that I get from it and why he, you know, tore the page up. Like, there can't be a record of this. I don't want the world to know too much about her. Almost. Is and to your point, when he's describing Denna the prior, you know, when he met her in the caravan, um, he doesn't really describe her at much physically at all. I went back mm-hmm. and took a look at it. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that he did say is he wasn't having a hard time doing it. He just yeah. said it. Um it's more it's more about their relationship rather than describing her physically. Them making googly eyes at each other and having their this magic moment mm-hmm. moments, you know, by the riverside or whatever, at the pond or wherever they were. Um, but he doesn't have the same problem describing her. Then, so I like that idea of there's almost something he feels like he needs to protect, not so much them as a relationship, but her as an individual. Something about her. Yeah. Yeah. And some of his words got too close to the truth. Maybe that he's trying to protect. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more into in Debbie after dark. Maybe. Yep. Yep. Cause his, his, uh, his metaphors are pretty, but it doesn't do us any good. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. It does you me don't... good as a reader. I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's also like, I feel like it's a problem we've all had, right? Like we fall for that girl and I don't know why that that boy or whatever. And we, you know, we can't describe it very well, but to us, that boy or girl is just more special and more beautiful than everyone else seems to think. Right. right? Yeah. You know. And even if we recognize like conventionally, there's just, yeah. you know, just I shouldn't something. like you, but yeah then you smile and something happens where it just makes me go, Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the person the mm-hmm. individual that just connects with you and it's hard to describe. And so yeah. he's maybe just dealing with some of that too. It's special. Right? Yeah. Hmm. I wrote a note. No one can read a sentence about Denna and know what quote saw in her, no matter how perfectly he describes it. Right. I don't know whether I wrote that or I copied it from the text. No, well, no, it sounds good. And it's true. That. Yeah. There's no way <laughs> yeah, of really I mean, knowing is yeah. how do you describe something like that? Yeah. We do find out that Bast has an ear kink and I suppose yeah. that's okay. So <laughs> if that's what you're into, I feel like Bast has kind of an everything kink. Yeah. He's um, kind of just a horn dog. <laughs> yeah. He's there's a short story. I don't know if everyone knows there's a short story called the lightning tree. It's in, um, it's in the Rogues anthology, uh, which I bought 
Um, it's just a short story, and it's and Bast is the main character. And anyway, he's 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 just pretty sexually open, I think, and available and desirous of all kinds. I think. Yeah, I should go read that again. I only read it the one time, but I, I haven't read it, so I'd like yeah. to. And then it's like, come on, Bast, be a buddy. Don't like tear your, yeah. your friend's girl <laughs> yeah. down. Like, yeah. like, well, her nose, I mean, her face was like got three days to get through this. Can you just not argue with me about the details? Can I just have this? Can I just think just, that she's just need this one? Perfect. Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Be a pal. True. Be a pal. Mm. I bet Sim wouldn't have said that. Yeah, Sim. Sim's ride or die. <laughs> oh man um the, these chapters are so interesting though because they kind of almost approach these interludes are almost kind of from different povs if you step back and look at them closely like sometimes they focus more on bast like what bast mm-hmm. is thinking sometimes it's more what the chronicler's thinking i feel this one is more like both um yeah there's even a moment where you kind of see it. Remember how worried uh, Bast was about the silences with Quoth, mm-hmm. right? That's one that is kind of more from Bast's perspective, a tiny yep. bit. Yep. This, we see that a little bit. It like brings it up again. It says mm-hmm. Quoth was quiet for such a long moment that Bast began to fidget and got anxious. Yeah. And it's almost like we're seeing that, but we're seeing it from a different set of eyes this time. All we're seeing is him getting fidgety and anxious, but because yep. we read the last interlude, that was kind of more yes. from his POV. We start to feel, we're like, oh yeah, he's worried about when Quoth gets quiet. That bothers him. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I like these interludes too, for that same reason. We have very much a first person, you know, narrative in the, in the story, within the story. Mm-hmm. And at the end we have what I, I think it's essentially a third person omniscient. Yeah, seemingly. I mean, we we kind of know what, is. All, what all three of them are thinking. But I mean, yeah, but it kind of it le- like de- depending on the but interlude, yeah, it, it kind of leans on different yeah. guys a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'll have to pay more attention to that as we go forward. Does it shift within each of those interludes, or does it kind of lean toward one and stay there? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. A, but there's definitely ones that kind of lean towards Chronicler more and what he's thinking. Yeah. The last one was right. Bast. Yeah, true. Good stuff. Excellent writing. Huh. Are you ready for names for beginning? I am. As we have just learned, it was Denna that he saw. Surprise. It was Alwyn. It had been half a year, a long time for two that had only known each other in three days. But in his heart, he had never forgotten Denna and kept a small hope alive of finding her again. And here she was, bounding toward him like a lit candle, barely in control. She smiled at him as he caught her in mid-bow. When she smiled at him, part of him shattered. In a good way, it changed him. He was caught by a smile and he would never recover. And speech wouldn't either. While normally talkative, Quoth was speechless in front of Denna. But the courtly manners his mother had taught him took hold and he bowed, easing the interaction towards conversation. Put it lightly, they flirt, like a lot. Him insisting he was afraid she had left, her stating that she went to find him instead, quoting texts from little-known plays back and forth at each other, how cute, in a room, etc., both admits he can't thank her enough for being his Alolan, and when she asks what he can do, he insists that she take his pipes. Knowing their value, she refuses, 
and intimates that she would rather have a favor for him to owe her. As another performance proceeded below, Quoth realizes that Denna has not used his name. She had forgotten him, he assumes, and it is now time to make a better, new impression on her. They talk about the performance, how she was stunned he was waiting for someone to jump in, how he was certain, him, how certain he was that someone absolutely would. Denna admits that she almost didn't. After all, she barely knew the song, but only heard it a few times. At the height of flirtation, Denna's date appears. Oh, goody. It's Quoth's friend, Savoy. They all sit together, Denna and Quoth flirting still and sharing enough in common to make Savoy very uncomfortable. Savoy then asks Quoth to take Simon as his partner in corners the next time they play to repay him for coming to the Ulli on that night at all. For without Savoy coming there with his date, there would have been no Alowin to earn Quoth's pipes. Quoth blatantly flirts with Denna right in front of Savoy some more, offering to do anything within his power to provide the favor he owes. But she demurs, choosing to keep her favor for later. He asks only that he might know his lady's name whom he owes so much. She is reticent to give it, and they flirt some more right in front of Savoy some more, before they both reveal their names, again flirtatiously whispering in each other's ears. Quoth and Diane. Not Denna. Diane. Savoy glares at Quoth, so he makes his exit. Diane expresses that she hopes to see him, and Quoth replies that there is always hope. He did not kiss her hand as he left, as Savoy was right there, and you don't do that to friends. Well, and then just going right back to chapter 59, because it's a quick one. Quoth got drunk that night, and so did his friends. They stumbled back to the university, the night beautiful and perfect in a wild sort of way. But even more perfect is three friends, one dark, one light, and one fiery, knowing deep in their hearts that they're bound by a conviction that they will never grow old or die. They share a certain love that will never leave them, and nothing is as important as this. That's um, my, second, my second of my favorite chapters in here. It's beautiful. Yeah. You can just see it, right? The three of them just kind of stumbling, stumbling uh -huh. over this giant bridge, you know? Right. Um, just together, just on the same page, the same phase of their life, trying to conquer similar problems, just bonded, you know? Mm -hmm. Just bonded. Such a, a brief period of my life where I kind of felt that with a lot of my college friends and it just really resonates with me. Right. I love it. Yeah, when you kind of move on with life, it's like those friendships remain, but it's not quite the same, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we all move, you know, in different directions. We're not even physically sometimes in the same space, kind of same same area. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you just life life moves on. You can, you you have to leave that that common knowing, that common understanding, you have to leave it behind. Right. But you do too. You feel invincible, right? Yep. You, feel, you know for certain you'll never die, which is just a such a aggressively cocky attitude to have. But I feel like most young people feel that way, right? 100%. 100%. And then before you know it, you're 38. <laughs> and you've got tendonitis in your freaking arm sucks 
It does suck. Among other things. Yeah. There's a lot. People deal with a lot more than that. So but it's an annoyance. It's an annoyance, Gad. Um, also an annoyance. Uh, <laughs> poor Savoy. How many times did I use the word flirt in that summary? I didn't know any other way to put it. I'm but glad it feels you did. Like because every... you have to hammer it home. Like, And he's right there. Like her yeah. date is right there. Yeah. And yeah, Quoth's the hero of the story. We love him. We've already seen that Savoy is, you know, he's a nice enough guy. He's also comes from a lot of privilege and yeah. everything. Yeah. But, you know, you just like the whole time they're talking, I'm just imagining Savoy just looking back and forth at each of them and his face just uh-huh. falling, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just his hands clenching tighter and tighter. <laughs> like you're not supposed to be the third wheel on your date. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, but I wonder, like, I feel like as soon as she opened her mouth to sing and he heard this event happening, at that point, wouldn't you be like, well, this is probably over. This, there's like, something happening like here. Like, the writing's kind of on the wall when that happens, isn't it? Yep, yeah, yeah. Like, This will be our first and our last date. Yep. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Very true, man. Very true. No. Oh crap! Well, yeah. on to do the you, next one. Do you buy this garbage about them forgetting each other in six months? Absolutely not. I was going to ask you the same question. I mean, I, you you can meet somebody for a couple days and not remember them in six months. I believe that, but not the way they met. They spent a whole night on a stone talking about all sorts of things together. And right? it, like, there's. I even went back and looked at that chapter and it talks about how she was studying his face yes. and everything. The, like, yeah. Six months. You don't change that much in six months. Correct. I don't care if you got a new set of clothes or. Yeah. Yeah. The emotional reaction she had to him playing that song that we read earlier yeah. in the episode, she 100% knew it was him. And I wonder if she was thinking the same thing. Does he not remember me? Right. And so <laughs> I'm like, quote, you Freaking genius. You didn't use her name either. Maybe she thinks you don't know her or exactly, but neither of you want to use real names for some reason. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't buy it. I mean, I, I remember when I was, well, it was, gosh, it was right before Shelton. I actually got together. It must've been like, uh, AO and I got together in January. Must, yeah, it must've been like an October or something. I went bowling with a bunch of my brother's friends and stuff to a bowling alley. And there were just a bunch of college guys and girls hanging out basically. And I met this girl named Shelly there. And I like, even though I started pursuing Aowen later, basically that same night, mm. I still remember, I still remember her. Like I still mm-hmm. remember that story. Like we, we spent three hours together and didn't have any sort of connection really at all. Other than, you know, a little mild flirtation. They studied each other, like you said. Like, there's no way there's the, that they're forgetting each other. Yeah. In six months. Yeah. Zero chance. They're idiots. That's what they are. Yeah. They're being idiots right here. It even yes. says she ran up to him and then, like, stopped. Like, oh, yes, I, I got to be careful about maybe, yeah. you know, maybe he doesn't remember me or something. Like, in three excited skipping steps, she closed the distance. Anyone yeah. ever done that to you, Matt? I don't think um, not excited to see me. Even like, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think. So, anyone ever been that excited? 
I will remember that one of the most heartwarming things uh, ice and fire con meeting everybody mm. for the first time. And, uh, Eliana from the girls gone cannon podcast. Oh yeah. Running across the parking lot and oh, wow. just throwing herself into my arms for just the greatest big old bear hug ever. Wow. And that was, that was really rewarding. That w- that felt, that felt good. You know, Miss Eliana. I haven't talked to her in a long time. Yeah. Hope you're good. Hope you're good, girl. Um, Denna's last words to Quoth before they parted the first time was, I guess I'll just have to come looking for you then. Actually, I don't know if those were the last words, but it was part of the final conversation. Right. You wonder if she, did she she come all this way to find him? Don't know. I think, you know, we, we learn without spoiling, we learn more about Denna in coming chapters. Um, But at this point in the story, well, both, I certainly don't think Kvothe would think that's what she's doing. He doesn't sure. even think she remembers who he is. Correct. Yeah. I think for us, we could think that. It's it's a possibility. You know, she showed up with a date. Was that just maybe just to <laughs> do like... You go, do you go, you go looking for somebody with a date when you're trying to look for them and find them and yeah. connect with them? I don't know. Yeah, maybe she's just trying to learn about him and what he was up yeah. to in life and everything. And... Yeah. I don't know. It's a sweet it's chapter. Different. It's a sweet it is, chapter. It is. It it's is. awkward at parts. I found yeah. myself feeling bad for Savoy at parts. Yeah. Nevertheless, it's a sweet chapter. I, I have another music thing for you. If you'll, mm. if you'll, uh... I'm the expert on all things music. <laughs> I know. As I've proved here tonight. That's I know everything. <laughs> You impressed me with the the a the the uh, playing the different the a the different sorts of ways. Uh, hearing something only a few times and knowing how to sing it. Yes yeah. Or no? No. no. Not something like that. Yeah. I mean, there's earworms out there. You know, yeah. there's those songs that you can yeah. hear a couple times on the radio and you've got it. Mm-hmm. But I feel yeah. like a song this complicated. Yeah. It's not something you're just like, oh, I've got the counter melody part that I've got to sing to this. Yeah, but you probably heard it no more than five or six times total. Right. And memorized it. And can sing this complicated counter melody. And never sung it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of um, Evan Smith told a story about Johnny Depp. And I know Johnny Depp's canceled and everything, but he told a story about Johnny Depp uh, on the set of... uh, what is that yoga hosers Mm -hmm. and he he says you know johnny has this big scene in a i think it's in a a restaurant or something where he's a detective and he's trying to put together all these clues and it's a big monologue and he showed up the day they were supposed to shoot and you know kevin's stuff is pretty shoestring right like he doesn't have tons of days to screw around and make something take two days that needs to take one and he's not, he doesn't, he didn't know that she was supposed to shoot him. And he's, and he's like, okay, what do we got? Kevin's like, okay, what do we got to move around to make to do this another day? And Deb was like, well, hold on, right? Give me, just give me five minutes or whatever. And he sits down with his monologue at like a booth and he just memorizes it and just does it. And Kevin's just like Ranks astounded. Mm-hmm. He's just like, how do you, he's like, well, you know, I've been doing this a long time. You get tricks of the trade and, so like maybe 
what I'm getting at is <laughs> a long, long way to get there. I know what I'm getting at is like, maybe if Denna was a trained musician of many years and had all sorts of tricks to do these things and experience in the business and just knew her own instrument well enough and had so much experience with music in general and songs, maybe she could pull this off. Right. But a 15 year old, 18 year old girl, you know, doesn't seem like she'd have that experience under feels, her belt. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Maybe they're just so, I just thought of this, you know, we have millions of songs at mm. our fingertips and we're just inundated with music yeah. constantly at our own will, right? If we want to be Yep. in this world, you know, it seems well, like songs. there's like a lexicon of songs and that's just it. Those are the songs that exist. Like. I believe that. I, I believe there's certainly fewer of them and probably they're not even always the same when you hear them. Sure. Right. Cause like you travel and then people are like, you play it this way. I've heard it this way. And so I do it that way, mm-hmm. but she admits she had never heard it before. Right. So I don't think this was in her life as a phone, but um, yeah. Unlikely. Anyway. Unlikely. It's okay. okay. Yep. I've got another theory about it. When we get to Debbie after dark, we'll talk about that. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Uh, this is a tiny thing, but I love the callback to the interlude we just read. Quoth mm. says, you have an incredible ear. <laughs> Dennis says, you're not the first man to say that, but you might oh. be the first to say it while actually looking at my, my ears. ears. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Bass would have said it. So just a fun little callback. Uh, that is funny. There's, uh, you know, this is a, a book that you know names mean a lot uh i like the call out to when they're doing their little playful flirty banter about the names and dennis says diane says to him you know i can get your name anytime all i have to do is ask that's this guy he's like "Ah, he can tell you my name but he can't give it to you he can't give it um and that's it's interesting given the context of naming and like knowing something's true name. And like, you can only really understand maybe someone's essence if they give it to you themselves. If they allow I don't know if it, it means yeah. anything, but it's, it's metaphorically nice. Metaphorically nice. I like that. I like that. You're bringing that up. That idea that you, you can't just take anything that for there to be true meaning to something needs to be some agency exercised and willingly giving Consent. it up. Yeah. yeah, consent. There you go. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. It's pretty beautiful in like all aspects, not just this. Yeah. Yeah, he makes lots of distinctions in this chapter like that that make you just think on a it's hard to describe, but it makes you think and you go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense to me." Yeah. Like where before she had been pretty, now she was lovely as well. Mhm. I don't know how yeah. to describe that or explain that or analyze it, yeah. but I get it. Yeah. You know? Seasoned or like no longer. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. I don't even know how to describe but I There's get just it. It's another layer. I get what he's yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. He also doesn't share her name back when she gives it to him with Savoy, who probably already knows her name, but. He still mm-hmm. doesn't. He still doesn't give it. 
right? It's not his to give, so he doesn't say it, right? Anyway. Ooh. Oh, the shattered, shattered by the smile. Our episode title, Caught by a Smile. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Hmm. Well, I think that's all I got. I got one more little thing. Uh, he owes both Denna and Savoy favors, and Savoy immediately makes the favor about money. <laughs> you have to take Sim for corners, which is a game they play and they gamble with, right? But Denna's not interested in money. She could have had the silver pipes, which are worth money. She's interested in something personal, right? I think that's a it's a it's a classist kind of way that he's put that he's related this right so always mm -hmm. rich everything's about money money is the thing that has value then has never had money she's more interested in secrets and favors and getting by right right you know, she'll get by without money anyway this is interesting yep yeah, it is about money with Savoy. I mean, from the first moment we meet him, it's yeah. about money. Yeah, right. He's complaining about the meal, I think, and the, and, and the his tuition being as yeah. high as it is, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and even later we see him when he's kind of a betting buddy. He's like a bookie with, oh um, yeah, for Quoth. I mean, yeah. that's about money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're more they're like friends then at that point, and they're helping each other out and everything. But it's about money. I don't think they're friends after this. Oh, even though Quoth says <laughs> that's not the sort of thing friends do. Oh boy. Oh <laughs> boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh... Well, Skad, uh, I did just sit back for a second. I wanted to throw this in before Debbie after dark. This doesn't necessarily have to do with these chapters that we just discussed, but this whole block to this far, mm -hmm. you know, we're about the halfway point of this book, a little more than halfway through, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to just track for a minute and see how far we've come in half a book. That's what's amazing to me about this book, right? Mm -hmm. We start off with demon spiders, including a pretty intense <laughs> fight scene, right? To open this up. Feels very yeah. Lords of the Ring-ish, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does a little bit. Then we go to this idyllic traveling caravan, a family mm -hmm. lifestyle, and it's all theatrical and fun. Then we get a wise old alchemist who teaches a young boy how to move things with his mind. Feels very Star Wars-y almost, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Luke Skywalker. Then we have this intense, very graphic, violent death scene by demons, mm -hmm. right? Then we get a kid living alone in the wilderness for some time. Then we get a kid living alone in a big city for three years where he learns to steal, survive, and take revenge where he can. Then this kid yeah. gets his groove back, talks his way into college, you know, meets a pretty girl on the way there, has a magic moment with her, lives the life of a college freshman, you know, humiliates mm -hmm. a professor, <laughs> undergoes public castigation, gets kicked out of the university library. Runs into financial straits, gets an internship, gets a part-time job, goes into serious debt, <laughs> now is performing on a large stage in front of hundreds of people. I mean, just 
just yeah. what we've and, been and through made a rich enemy a as well just the one yeah. maybe the one thing you missed rich enemy insanely yep. rich enemy just like we've covered the gamut of i mean a yeah, whole there's life. like a little dickens in there there's <laughs> sci-fi there's fantasy there's yeah there's isn't it amazing right. yeah it really is an incredible book i'm so glad that you've kind of stuck with this idea of covering it and everything. I know I was kind of lukewarm to it at the beginning, but as I step back and look what Rothfuss has done here, like I've said it on Twitter and everything, how much I connect just with his experience as a college freshman. Yeah. That we had guys fighting demon spiders at the beginning of this book. Right. And it's just amazing. The gamut that this book runs and we're only halfway through it. Right. And, and, and underlying all of it is the fact that the main plot we're getting this whole lovely story but the main plot is about this character 10 years later and something something's happening really we bad don't happened. understand yeah that seems really bad and we don't know we don't even know and that's we have not no like idea. the others in the song of ice and fire like the ball's over here what's our eye on it's on this lovely story but like something's going to happen in this inn at the Waystone. Mm-hmm. Something is going to happen. That That's very true. It was published yep. pretty recently on the Reddit. Blew my mind. Really? There's some people doing some serious work on this on this book out there. Theorizing. We won't go into it in this episode. But Dang. All right. Do you want to do some Debbie After Dark chat? Let's do it. I don't have a ton. That's this, okay. This set, of, set of chapters so much about the music and the experience yeah. and all that. But, but we've that, had a great things. episode. We can bad yeah. banter about a few things. Sure. Let's do it, man. All right. Kalisar. If you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now. Join us for our next episode where we'll cover the next few chapters in a King that's Killer right. Chronicle and add to that big list of everything that's happening. That's right. But for now, Farewell. We'll catch you next time. And now we move into Debbie After Dark. Debbie After Dark. All right. Scat, I'm really interested in your thoughts on Ari. Can we go clear back yeah. to her? Sure. What, um, what parts? Theories abound about her maybe having been in the Haven and escaped from it. Um, we know that, uh, she, you know, everything that we know, quote unquote, about her is stuff that Quoth thinks he thinks that she's around 20 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of stuff we're going to see later in the story that could indicate that she's maybe much older than that. Um, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on, who she was, who she is now, what's going on? Well, I th- I think she's just a college student. That that I don't know how old she is, right? She's probably older than than Cloak than she is. But there are theories out there for sure that she actually is a moon fae, that she's mm-hmm. actually fae, and um, you know, the way he describes her hair certainly sounds fae. That it just kind of floats around. I'm like, is that physically even possible? Yeah, is, is that, that electricity a, around all the time? A metaphor, like it's yeah. just very Doesn't wavy seem, or something. I'm not sure that's even possible. I I think of Monica in the episode of Friends where she's in the where it's uh, they're on the vacation in like the tropics or whatever, and her hair is just like 
but that's not floaty and airy. That's not like, airy. It's yeah, it's like hairspray and a blow dryer. Um, so I think she's just a student that that has a lot of experience and probably got burned pretty bad by somebody. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a loaded. She doesn't seem to carry a lot of baggage with him. So I wonder if maybe, I wonder if maybe they kind of cracked at the same time, right? Oh, they're like contemporaries at the Haven. Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit, and 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 Debbie maybe a little bit too, and that maybe there's some sort of. I think I read something online somewhere about you know maybe that there was some event that happened that kind of got them all in trouble, right, and broke them you know in different ways, but. Um, Oh wow! Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if they're they're contemporaries for sure. Um, and so Quoth is kind of building these relationships with each of them independently, but yet yeah. they're all kind of interconnected. Perhaps I from mean, some maybe. past experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that. That would be really interesting, though. She certainly knows who Elodin is, which you know, I can't remember. We I feel like we did the timeline math last episode or the one before where we talked about when this probably happened to Elodin and how long he was put away and how long since he's been back. Yeah, you know, Chancellor keeps talking about eight members instead of nine, and so it seems like you just recently returned. Um, you know, and Ari certainly seems like she's been away from things for a bit. I wonder if they kind of yeah. kind of cracked at the same time. Yeah, contemporaries is the way you put it. It's good. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think she's she knows stuff. Um, you know, the Fey arguments, she talks about how it would be reckless behavior to open the door, open a door on the moon. Um, you know, we said earlier in this episode, there's a lot of stuff about the moon in this book. Yeah. About stealing the moon. There's a whole story about Jax stealing the moon from the Fey and has to build a folding house and all this weird stuff in the story. There's different versions of it they get from the Fey side as well about Jax stealing the moon. And the fact that she knows at all about it. It's just a story to be known, maybe, right? But the fact that she the first time we meet her, she's giving him a key to a door on the moon. Maybe means something. Like right. why why did why did he not include the first meeting of Ari or the second or the third? But he included the one for the first time for Chronicler in the story. That's a good point. Him, where she gives him the key to the moon, right? That's a great point. Yeah. So I wonder if that means something. There's also, you know, you asked about the under thing too. Um the other thing we we come to learn, and if you read the Slow Regard of Silent Things, there's a short story in which Ari and Quoth are really the main characters. Um, actually, I think Ari is really the main character. Ari, but yeah. I only read it once, but um, you learn a lot about the other thing and how it's different areas and stuff, and um, it it's basically a, a buried city, and we you know I think we talked about it in a previous episode. It's probably one of those seven cities that was destroyed during mm. the creation war mm. right and this key could if it's not really you know a, a moon key or something this key could be more tangibly a key that actually opens something in that city maybe something that gets you to the four-plated door or even through it Do I yeah one of the a, keys to the four-plated door seems mm-hmm. like a pretty important thing that somebody would put in ari's hands or misplace but maybe that's what cracked her? They were researching this stuff just like Quoth is, and they found one of the keys. And well, I don't know, right? I mean, there's no evidence for any of this. I don't think. Yada yada yada. 
yada 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 she's got a key to the fourth room door <laughs> right probably, probably not but like it could be the key to something in the under thing right that that's meaningful there are people that think you know if, if the under thing really is one of those seven cities that it perhaps has a gate to the fey realm right and then maybe this is wow. how Paliax came through or, or something right right so there's all sorts of ideas there but we don't know much and that's one of the beauties of Ari's part of the story to me is there's something there's for sure something but we don't know we don't know what it is he's I guarding read, that mystery very closely i want to read the slow regard of silent things again pretty badly right every time i get to an Ari section i'm like i gotta reread that yeah i haven't read it so i need to read it it's i gotta be honest it wasn't my favorite right but i think it, mm. i think that's probably because i was looking at it for I finished this. I finished maybe just stories entertainment. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. And I was like, uh, maybe this will progress the plot. And it doesn't like, it's right. not really about that. Um, it's like a character piece almost. I mean, it's hmm. yeah, but I, but, but there's probably little stuff in it now that I'm reading more closely that means more. Right. Right. Anyway. Hmm. Yeah, there's something about her. I just realized, as I said, yada yada, that Rothfuss yada yadas, or quoth yada yadas, he and Ari's basically relationship, right? <laughs> yeah, the beginning of it, at least. I yeah. found a, a <laughs> loose grate in the mains, and yada yada yada. I've got this little friend that likes listening to me play guitar. A, I got a best friend that brings me keys <laughs> to things, the, to the moon. <laughs> love it i love it what else do you want to talk about um you want to talk about ambrose real quick yeah he broke the string right no question like i it seems ba based on the scene we had with uh in the classroom in the classroom right where he with almost died uh -huh. the blinders chills i mean i think that's meant to be like a forewarning that when we see these symptoms that's what it was happening so, right yeah it makes it makes sense i mean all the evidence lines up he leaves right after it makes makes sense that that's that's what's going on the undertone to that, that i just don't hit remember me, i don't remember whether we actually ever get confirmation i think i just mm. i always felt like it was true so if i ever if we ever get confirmation I just didn't remember because i was like yeah, yeah of course right go ahead sorry no i think i'm glad you said that because it's like well then why is it even does it even matter if we don't even get confirmation? But the dark undertone to that is that, and I don't know that Quoth's ever pointed this out, maybe because he hates the guy, but the fact that he was able to do it and pull it off shows that he's skilled. You know, yeah. he to this point, he comes off as simply a bully in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. A bully, it, all the terrible things in the world he is. Here we learn that if he was able to pull that off, he's pretty good at at this sympathy stuff yeah i think yeah. and maybe emotion I, I went into it I, I think he's probably pretty good at a lot of things i think just like you said with will and sim they don't like him so they don't talk well about him but mm -hmm. probably he's good at lots of things and both is doing a good job or coach is doing a good job telling the story because he didn't know yet that he was good at all these things but i i yeah i think it's he, he said a few times, or at least for sure he said once, I was foolish for not 
taking him as seriously oh, yeah. as I should have. Good right? point. Yep, I do remember that. And mm-hmm. you know, there's I'm certain there's reasons he's saying that, right? Mm-hmm. And we get, I mean, there's there's a lot more of Ambrose to be had in this book, and he fucks folks' life up big time. So really it's significantly. Coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming. And he is certainly skilled. He's got connections. He's smart. He's clever. He's not as any of those things as Quoth is, but he's got more resources and some time on his hands that Quoth doesn't have. And so it's it's like villains, right? Like, like you get all the stories about superheroes. We talked about, I feel like maybe we talked about this recently, but you get all these stories about superheroes. And it's like, oh, well, they're fighting this villain this week and then another villain the next week. And it's like, well, those villains are all, they're taking all this time that they've got on their hands to like prepare these things that are going to screw with the superhero or steal the money or whatever. While the superhero 100% of the time is dealing with a villain. Most of the time, mm-hmm. the villains are just sitting there planning and plotting and trying to make this thing perfect. Yeah, what's going they don't on have anyone to deal with. Uh-huh. And this guy's always running in circles. Well, that's, Pope is always running in circles, trying to live, trying to get money, trying to just survive. Whereas Ambrose can be like, it's a Wednesday afternoon. How can I fuck up Quoth's life? You know what I mean? Like, he's got time. He's got yeah. resources. So he's, yeah. he can Lex Luthor it, you know? Lex Luthor. I love that. Good point, man. Good point. Um, there's other stuff we could talk about. Let's 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 hit Dennis' name stuff. At least. Okay. Then we can we can probably be done if you want. I'm certainly exhausted. <laughs> uh, I think I I said part of this earlier a little bit, but. This is a book with the word name in the title. Mm. We know that naming and knowing the name of something gives power and control over it, right? Knowing its true name. And I think I think by Denna's refusal to play the game with her name, she's telling us that she's going to be a wild card in this story. Mm. She's an unknown. She is not understood. She's not going to be understood. Both is going to have a hard time trying to figure out her true es- essence and name. And he, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll get it, but. Does that I, add to his frustration that he demonstrates in the interlude? I think so. I, I part of me thinks she's Faye as well. Hmm. I, think, I think, I think I have a, a, a small theory that everyone's Faye <laughs> at some point. But I'm having difficulty understanding this person must be Faye. <laughs> must be Faye. <laughs> but more more symbolically, the fact that she changed her name yeah. to Diane, and and we'll learn as this book goes on, she gives different names to everybody. She's got lots of versions of this. They're D- all D N names name. too, though, right? They're all D names, usually with an N in them. Yeah, there's several mm-hmm. of them that she uses, but they're always different names. And I think that's I think that's meant to mean something to us, right? That mm-hmm. she refuses to be named. She's right. hard to get a hold of. She's hard to understand and and get a true essence of. And there's something about that in this story that's about understanding names and knowing the true essence of things that her not playing by that rule just in this little moment, you know, not going by a name, going by that many, yeah. means something. And I don't know exactly what. But yeah. um, I, I think that that inconstance that she has is 
going to lead to some problems in Cliff's life. And might be, you know, part of this this protection thing that you know, he that he feels. Maybe he's come details. to understand why she's so right. She's so ambiguous with it, and he realized, oh crap! Like I got to be careful because exactly. I understand why she is the way she is. Exactly. Yeah, that's mm. kind of that's kind of where my head's at. That he has come to understand at least a part of that truth, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to expose her for whatever reason. And he's like, stupid, stupid. Tear it up. Tear it. Give me that paper. Tear it up. Tear it up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's that's part of it. I wonder if. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, Scott, I realized uh, at the end I was going through, and you know, I I'm not as well versed in this book as you are, uh, which is why I love covering it with you. So I often will go back and read up about the characters on the wiki just to remind myself of things that they do and everything. And uh, it hit me that if this isn't the last time we see Savoy, it's close to it. He just kind of disappears from the narrative. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I remember that. That's interesting. He's just kind of gone. And, and someone asked, this is on the, this is on the wiki. Someone asked Patrick Rothfuss um, what happened to Savoy. And here's what Rothfuss said. He lives on a farm out in the country now. He's happy there. He has plenty of room to run and play. Wow. Does that give you the same indication that gives me? Yeah. Savoy's dead? Yeah. That's what you tell a kid that happened to the dead dog? We yeah, took him out to the farm. Typically what that means. Um, but it's funny though, the the person who wrote the wiki, I don't know if they understood it that way. They say, when uh, asked about where Savoy went, Patrick Rothfuss clarified that Savoy had moved on with his life, saying he lives on a farm now in the country. He's happy there. <laughs> and some of the comments are like, oh yeah, he's just, okay, so that's great that he went and found a way to move on his life. It's like, no people, like he's saying he's, he's dead. dead. Yeah, uh, and what, whether uh, that means something or not, I don't know. The fact that Rothfuss is saying it makes me believe that he's not going to put it in the story. But so tying it back to Denna, and I don't know that we should, right? Like he could have disappeared for any number of reasons, took on debts to papers, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Denna's found with you know, to, to be kind of on the arm of lots of men over the next, you know, dozens of chapters. I don't know about lots, you know, I'm certainly not shaming her for it, right? She's living, you know, the life she needs to live to get by. But I think Savoy, other than Ambrose, is the only one we know and would expect to see again. And so it's interesting that he chose for the first one that she shows up with to be a character we know and then have him not show up. Maybe all the people she ends up with disappear. That'd be something interesting to track. Now when she does, she does play with Ambrose a bit. Uh, can't remember now when or how much I forgot too many mm-hmm. things I've forgotten, but you know, we know he's still around. So that there, he doesn't exactly hold water. 
unless you believe that Denna's future patron is somehow tied up with Ambrose, which some people do believe. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Savoy does come up later. You know, apparently she's asked about him later on, and she claims that they haven't seen each other for a while. Hmm. And then I don't remember this either. I'm taking this purely out of the wiki of Simon later mentioning that Savoy was truly in love with Denna and that her departure impacted him greatly. Like his life. Yeah. So I don't know. Interesting. Okay. So interesting. Bye Savoy. Yeah. I'm going to go look up Savoy theories as soon as we hang up, I think. And I, you know, Rothfuss has written quite a sweeping tale here, and he has, you know, readily admitted that it's been hard for him to keep up with it. And obviously, we don't even have a third book yet. It could have been an instance where he kind of just forgot about Savoy. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really interested in including him in the story anymore. So you ask me the question. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we get that a lot with George, right? Right. We're like, what happened to this guy? He's like, dude, I just got married. Yeah. Like I, you know, I didn't need him for a while, right? Nothing happened to him. I just didn't need him for a while, probably. Mm-hmm. Pat's story feels tighter than that. For sure. But still there's room for like, yeah, you know, I just didn't I was done with the guy. Yeah. Not part of, you know, how many people enter your life and leave? And aren't <laughs> really a huge part of the story that you would need to tell the, to the girl. Not everyone gets the happy ending and yeah. The hero moment or whatever. They just or needs to be mentioned beyond the their little bit part. Yeah. Right? They're yeah. just done. Yeah. All right. Well, is this a good place to stop? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. It was a good, it was a good episode. I like this. This was I mean, fun. I always I always enjoy talking with you about it. Absolutely. Agreed. All right. I don't have uh anything too crazy for my sign off today. I really don't normally. But um you know, our friend uh, Steph, I'm having trouble with names today. Uh, our friend Steph and I were just going back and forth about Carol King and how much we love her mm. as an mm. artist today. So this is Matt signing off with a classic Carol King line. If there's any answer, maybe love can end the madness. Maybe not, but we can only try. Carol King, wonderful, wonderful writer. Wrote quite a bit for Mariah Carey, I think. Yeah. She said she never wanted to be a performer. She always just wanted to write, but she was just too There's a musical about her that I saw. Mm -hmm. Musical, I think. Yeah. One of my favorites. She's written so many good songs. Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, for my sign off, I'm going to say if you want to dive down some rabbit holes after listening to this and you're kind of got your jonesing for more, for more stuff. Just Google the Waystone is a bomb. A bomb? A bomb. I thought you said a bong it's, for a second. Like it's by a guy. It's a it's on it's on Reddit. It's by a guy named Smurfalicious. And I went down some rabbit holes with some of his stuff. With Smurf? Smurfalicious. And uh-huh. he is putting in the work. He's got a whole bunch of stuff, but the Waystone is a bomb is really interesting bring your chemistry hat but it's it's interesting for sure so if you want to dig dive deep check that out calisar all right 
hey, I respect the hustle. I respect the hustle. Respect the hustle for those that can do it when I can't, because I can't. Yep. Thank you. (laughs) This is all the hustling I got. Doing the good work. (laughs) (laughs) All All right, right, Kalisar. Good night, Scad. Good night, Kalisar. Y'all in the flippity.